honey and the butterflies, and we pulled those endless acres of rainfall to make way for the genetically modified soy fields. So the resources of the planet are dwindling. The fossil fuels, the fossil water, the old growth forest, the natural artesian springs, they're all disappearing by the day. And the shocking loss of living species has scientists now declaring our planet to be in its sixth great extinction event. The biotech agriculture with their genetic pollution is now irreversible. Mysterious diseases are sweeping through the banana crops and the orange crops and even the horse populations of central Texas. We are all connected by nature. As nature suffers and dies, we feel the pain in our hearts and our minds. We feel the suffering of the aquatic ecosystem as more agricultural chemicals are washed downstream and empty into the ocean. And when life dies around us, those of us that still have a sense of empathy and compassion feel that pain. It seems that we're becoming more agitated and more frightened today because the death and destruction of our natural world has reached a breaking point. And this destruction being unleashed on our world is felt in our own hearts in the same way that a pocket radio can tune in and sense a broadcast station many miles away. So this this travesty on nature is becoming so loud and so urgent that every day more people are affected by it. And for some, they will feel uncertainty and fear. Others will feel anger and agitation, and others experience sadness and depression. We have to recognize that because we're tuned into nature, we are sometimes pained by its suffering, yet the ability to feel compassion and empathy for the living world around us is not only a great gift, but it's a great burden. So we hear the cries the desperate cries for survival and we're simultaneously burdened with doing our best to help protect Mother Nature from the poisoners of our world who are destroying her. We are living in a world full of conscious, self-aware beings and their experience is ultimately inseparable from our own consciousness. And when the natural world suffers pain and death, we also feel an echo of that same pain and death, and it hurts us deeply 
if we dare to stay tuned in to the natural world around us. So while some people can close their hearts and promote pesticides and GMOs and herbicides and other other deadly chemicals, those people actually feel intense pain in their own hearts and they quite literally seek the destruction of the world as a way to lash out from their own self-hatred. And this is why people who are not in balance with the natural world can never be in balance with themselves. So in other words, we can't be at peace with each other unless we are at peace with nature. And the idea of attempting to achieve some geopolitical peace while all the nations are waging aggressive chemical warfare against nature is just absolutely ludicrous. So war between humans is a reflection of humanity's war against nature. And these weapons of human warfare are just the physical counterparts of the chemical weapons deployed against Mother Nature each and every day. And as is practiced today, chemical agriculture is the aggressor against nature. It poisons her rivers and her oceans and destroys the delicate ecological balance that once brought us abundance in the form of cheap food, free water, and rich soils. And now the price of food is skyrocketing. The water is disappearing. The soils have been chemically sterilized or nearly blown to dust. And the abundance we once took for granted is rapidly evaporating, leaving behind this barren wasteland wholly unable to support sustainable human life. So in desperation, we, the humans, drill deeper for more water and oil. We clear-cut more lands for increased profits, and we spay triple or quadruple the chemicals to combat the super weeds, which have arisen from our foolish short-sightedness. And even in this, we utterly fail to realize the problem is not that we haven't yet exploited enough natural resources. The problem is that we treat the planet as if we were an invading enemy force seeking to destroy it. So if we destroy our natural world, we destroy ourselves. And the process, unfortunately, is already well underway that it may be far too long to, uh, to reverse. So what do you do? What, what's your option? Do we continue the same path? The problem is, as I see it, it's a problem of envy, it's a problem of identity, and it's a problem of lack of faith. It depends who is the center of your life. If God is the center of your life, you don't have a problem. Because then you accept whatever comes your way as his mercy. But if God is not the center of your life, then you try to be God, and you try to accept what you have. So we've got people out there, the, the biotech industry thinks they're God. They, they, not only are they going to make money, but they're going to feed the world. Yeah, they're going to feed the world poison. Why can't it just be kept simple? 
Why can't we just see ourselves as family? Why can't we see ourselves as brothers and sisters? Why can't we transcend the physical and see that the person driving the body is spiritual and doesn't have any labels on it? And in the true sense of the world, we're brothers and sisters and we're maintaining what has been put here by our Father. And if we are lacking something and someone has something in abundance, why can't we share? 524-1080. Hello. Oh, oh, hi. Yeah. I'm 21st century medicine, too, just like you. But, um, according to um, 21st century eating medicine, the inability to digest food is supposed to be amongst the top reasons why people live a short life, you know, the, the inability to digest medicine? In the, the inability, inability to digest food. Foods, yeah, right, because everybody gobbles their food down, they don't do it right. Mm -hmm. They don't eat right. You're supposed to eat slowly, take time, and, you know, just enjoy it. And, and other times... When you eat meat, um, you know, as cook, well, we already talked about that. When you cook, uh, um, overcooked food, and you said uh, 212 degrees, so I said... Yeah, you can't go over 250. You said 250, yeah. Yeah. And that, that's another reason. Right. Yeah. Crazy. Hey, i got to wrap things up here, dude. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. This show being streamed is now being played on American Voice Radio. So for those of you AVR fans out there, you guys that tune in to American Voice Radio, you may not be able to hear this show live because obviously you're going to hear it on an archive. But wherever you are, if you can figure out when 8 o'clock, 8 a.m., Hawaii time is where you live, and you can figure that out. It takes you a minute. What you want to do is you go to www.kwai1080-1080-1080-AM.com. That's www.kwai1080-1080-AM.com. AM.com, okay? Then, if you do that on your computer, you can hear the show live. Not only that, if you don't listen on your computer and you call in at area code 808-524-1080, you can call in live and you can ask questions. And that's what it takes, you know. This, we're, what, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make more people more aware of self-sustainability. You've got to get away from the biotech industry. You've got to get away from the medical profession. You've got to get away. You can't believe the mainstream media. They're just a bunch of hookers like everybody else. So the point is, you, you have to take responsibility for you. If you do not, so you got, you're out there, you may have arthritis, you may have heart disease, you got high blood pressure, you got all this crap.
have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. doing this is Hesh this is Health Talk and I got a few things I want to talk about that maybe don't deal with health but things that have been disturbing me and I thought I'd like to get them off my chest um, the, the one oh, man hang on guys hello yeah I'm on the radio can you call me in an hour it's crazy, you know. I should turn my cell phone off when I go on the air. Anyway, I want to talk about, um, you guys remember the movie The Manchurian Candidate? <laughs> that was a really cool movie. Well, I want to talk about that and uh, the relevancy that it has. So I have, I have this theory about our president, you know, Mr. Obama. And I think he's kind of uh, led a, a make-believe life in which money was provided and doors were open because maybe at some point early on, somebody or some group took a look at this, this guy, this tall, good-looking, half-white, half-black young guy with an exotic name and concluded maybe the guy could be directed towards a life in politics where his, uh, if you pardon the expression, speaking skills could even put him in the White House. So in a very real way, he's been a young man in a very big hurry. I mean, who else do you know who has written two, two memoirs before the age of 45? His Dreams of My Father was published in 1995 when he was 34 years old. And The Audacity of Hope came back in 2006. So if he wrote him himself, you know, there are some who think that his mentor and friend, and friend Bill Ayers, uh, is a man who calls himself a communist with a small c, was the real author. So... His political skills consisted of rarely voting on anything that might be deemed controversial. 
He went from a legislator in the Illinois House to the senator from that state because he had the good fortune of having Mayor Daley's political machine at his disposal. Um, he was in the U.S. Senate, Senate so briefly that his bid for the presidency was either an act of astonishing self-confidence or part of some greater game plan that had been determined before he first stepped foot in the cap capital. So how many must wonder, was he selected to be a 2004 keynote speaker at the Democratic Convention that nominated John Kerry when virtually no one had ever even heard of Obama before? So he outmaneuvered Hillary in the primaries. He took Iowa by storm. He's a charming young man, an anomaly in the state with a very small black population, and he oozed cool in a place where agriculture was the antithesis of cool. He dazzled the locals, and he had an army of volunteers drawn to a charisma that hid any real substance. And then he had the good fortune of having the Republicans select one of the most inept candidates for the presidency since Bob Dole. And then John McCain did something crazy. I mean, he did something unbelievable. He picked Sarah Palin, an unknown female governor from the state of Alaska, to be his running mate. It was the ticket that was reminiscent of 1984's Walter Mondale and Geraldine Ferraro, and they went down to defeat. So the mainstream political media fell in love with the guy. It was a schoolgirl crush with verbal commentators like Chris Matthews swooning then and now over the man and the venom directed against McCain, in particular Palin, was unbelievable. Now, with six to six full years into his presidency, seven almost, all of those gilded years leading up to the White House have left him unprepared to be president. The guy's left to his own instincts. He became a talent for saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, and it became a joke that he could not ever deliver even the briefest of statements without the, the ever-present teleprompters. Far worse is his capacity to want to wish away some terrible realities, not the least of which is the Islamist intention to destroy America and enslave the West. And any student of history knows how swiftly Islam initially spread. It knocked on the doors of Europe and it gained a foothold in Spain. So the great crowds that greeted him at home or on his campaign world tour were no substitute for having even the slightest grasp of history and the reality of a world filled with really bad people with really bad intentions. And oddly, and perhaps even inevitably, his political experience, which was a cakewalk, has positioned him to destroy the Democratic Party hold on power in Congress 
because in the end, it was never about the party. It was always about his communist ideology, learned at an early age from family mentors, college professors, and extreme leftist friends and colleagues. So Obama is a guy who could deliver a snap judgment about a Boston police officer who arrested some Harvard professor friend, but would warn Americans against jumping to conclusions about a mass murder at Fort Hood who shouted Allah Akbar. And the absurdity of that was lost on no one. And he has since compounded this by calling the Christmas bomber an isolated extremist only to have to admit a day or two later that the guy was a part of an Al-Qaeda plot. This is a man who could strive to close down our detention facility at Guantanamo, even though those released were known to have returned to the battlefield against America. He could even instruct his attorney general to afford the perpetrator of 9-11 a civil trial when no one else would even consider such an obscenity. And he is also a guy who could wait three days before having anything to say about the perpetrator of yet another terrorist attack on Americans and then have to elaborate on his remarks the following day because his first statement was so lame. So the pattern repeats itself. He either blames a problem on the Bush administration or he naively seeks to wish away the truth. So it's like knocking on the door and saying, hello, anybody home? Is anybody there? The guy exists only as a puppet of his handlers, of the people who have maneuvered and manufactured this pathetic individual's life. When anyone else would quickly and easily produce a birth certificate this guy spent over a million dollars to deny access to his. Most other documents, the paper trail we all leave in our wake, has been sequestered from review, and he has lived a make-believe life whose true facts remain hidden. Even his wife mentioned that they visited the country of his birth, Kenya. The country of his birth. You did know she did not accompany him on the trip to Saudi Arabia, on which he actually bowed to the king, because being a Muslim required him to do so, and that same faith prevented him from taking her with him. So what do we do? We laugh at the ventriloquist dummy, but what do you do when the dummy is the president of the United States? It's time for change, folks. And what's upcoming, you know, Hillary is going to be just as bad as this idiot that's in office now. I think we got to take a walk on the wild side, really, and go so bizarre that nobody would even think twice. I think Donald Trump has got to be the guy. <laughs> and I'm saying that with a straight face. Okay, I want to get into something else that has bothered me for a long time. Why and what 
is the basic cause of crime. Well, we know that violence in modern society is increasingly associated with property crimes as individuals are willing to resort to whatever means necessary to secure desired goods. A kid steals a candy bar because he wants to enjoy the taste. A young guy breaks into a house to steal a new stereo because he wants to enjoy listening to the latest tunes. A drug addict sticks up a grocery store shooting the owner in order to get the money that he needs to get high. A bank executive embezzles a million dollars so he can run off with his girlfriend to enjoy life in the Bahamas. A woman murders her husband so she can collect on his insurance policy. So what is the common motive behind these crimes? And the answer is obvious. It is the desire for sense gratification. So the criminologists, the social scientists, have almost completely overlooked the fact that materialism is the root cause of crime. False identification of the body as the self leads people to believe that sense enjoyment will make them happy and satisfied, and most crimes are directly or indirectly connected with the attempt to find satisfaction and sense enjoyment. So daily, the mass media, television, radio, movies, magazines, newspapers, billboards, whatever, saturates us with the message that the goal of life is sense pleasure, and that success in life depends upon the acquisition of those objects that make this sense pleasure possible. So from a very young age, we learn that we should strive to be the controllers and the enjoyers of all we survey. We are promised that such lordship is the way to satisfaction and happiness. The criminal is just trying to follow this message the best way he knows how. He's just trying to be the central enjoying agent, the Lord, and he has been taught he needs to be. So he needs beautiful women. He needs a flashy car. He needs fine clothes. He needs a big house. He needs all kinds of kitchen appliances. He needs a big soft bed. He needs a stereo. He needs a VCR. He needs a big flat screen TV. He needs a gold watch. He needs a yacht. He needs, he needs, he needs, he needs, he needs. And since no amount of sense gratification is ever enough to satisfy us, we always feel the need for more. From the poorest person to the richest person, from the street person to the person who lives in a mansion, everyone wants more sense gratification and more material wealth. If you're poor, you feel you need a bigger TV to be happy. If you're rich, you feel you need a new yacht or a more expensive car or a bigger house. Enough is never enough. So we have crooks from all income levels. The poor crooks commit crimes so they can get what they think 
they need. The rich crooks commit crimes so they can get what they think they need. The street crook robs people so he can buy some nice clothes, a computer, and possessions of that kind. The corporate crook robs companies so he can buy 50,000 acres of land or a new Learjet. So the fact that there are at least as many wealthy criminals as there are poor criminals effectively destroys the materialist theory that the root cause of crime is poverty and the solution to the crime problem is to make everyone rich. Obviously, if poverty were the cause of crime, then no wealthy people would commit crimes. Besides, the term poverty is relative. A poor American, for example, would be a wealthy Ethiopian. So criminals, whether rich or poor, are criminals not because they are poor or rich, but because they are in the illusion that material things, material sense enjoyment will satisfy them. And of course, the reason they're in this illusion is because they erroneously identify their body as themselves. And because our materialistic society considers the acquisition of wealth and power to be the goal of life, the more wealth and power you possess, the more successful you are considered to be. If you're materially poor, you are considered a failure in life. Whereas if you're wealthy and powerful, regardless of how you acquired this wealth and power, you are considered a great success. So obtaining material wealth is not only essential for your direct sense gratification, but also for your feelings of self-worth. In other words, you feel only as valuable as the things that you possess and control. Lacking appreciation of your real value as an eternal, blissful spark of life, a child of God, falsely identifying the temporary body as yourself, you try to achieve feelings of self-worth by the acquisition and control of material things. To achieve such economic development, you can end up engaging in illegal activity. In other words, you might become a crook. But if you understand that you are not the body, then you will understand that a life of false lordship and sense gratification will not satisfy you. So you will not see the gaining of material wealth and power as the goal of your life. And you won't feel that you need things that, in fact, you don't really need. So you won't be driven to try to get something at any cost, including the cost of your life or someone else's life or imprisonment. So the most ironic thing about a life of crime is that it's based on a lie. And that lie being the lie of materialism. The reason kids in poor neighborhoods idolize the local hoods is because they think that the hoods are happy. 
they see that by material standards, the crooks are successful. They got nice clothes, they got jewelry, flashy cars, the respect of others, pretty girls, lots of cash, and on and on and on. But if these kids knew that material wealth and false lordship were not synonymous with happiness, then they wouldn't see the crooks as successful. So it's this big lie, the material concept of success, that causes many young people to follow in the footsteps of the hoods. So children obviously would not be so eager to emulate the hoods if they knew that the crooks were not really happy. So whether you're an educator, a producer of movies or television shows or popular music or just a plain old mother, father, elder brother, elder sister, aunt or uncle, you really help children if you try to teach them that material wealth and power are not synonymous with success. But no matter what you and I do, the big lie continues. The influential materialists are not going to tell the truth. Instead of telling the little kids that the hoods are not happy, even though they're rich, the materialists tells them that one day the hood will get caught and be sent to prison, and then he will suffer. In prison, they say, the crook will be poor and powerless. So in this word, in this way, they're saying that the criminal is happy as long as he's not in prison. So now the little kids know that criminals are really caught, and those who are caught are out of sight, no longer seen by the little kids. Therefore, the criminals who are seen regularly by those who are not in jail are the ones who are happy. So as far as the kids are concerned, crime pays. So the important sociologists and the criminologists and the psychologists, they sit around doing million-dollar studies searching for the root cause of crime. But they just can't seem to find it, even though it's staring them right in the face. Materialism is the root cause of the crime problem. But for the materialist to acknowledge that materialism is the root cause of crime would be a self-indictment, like pulling out the rug from under their feet. So materialism is the foundation of their own personal lives. Right? Is, is that, does that make sense? And, and it's like, it's their avowed ideology. This entire consumerist success-oriented society is based on materialism. To acknowledge materialism as the cause of crime is to acknowledge that the root cause of crime cannot be destroyed without cutting out the very heart of our modern hedonistic, quote-unquote, civilization. So unable to accept the bankruptcy of their religion of matter worship, they plead confusion and ignorance and ask for more funds to do further studies. And the fact is that the crime rate will continue to remain high as long as people are ignorant of their true identity and are bombarded with the message 
that more sense gratification will equal more satisfaction and happiness. And as long as success in life is gauged by the amount of material goods amassed, the crime problem cannot and will not be solved. So the high rate of crime is a radical problem that requires a radical solution. We, the masses of the people, must fundamentally change the way in which we view ourselves, the world, others, and the goal of life. And such a re-education of the masses through the schools and the media would obviously take several decades at least, nor is it likely that the powerful economic forces controlling the mass media would even cooperate in the effort to produce such enlightenment. After all, these forces have a vested interest in keeping us materialistic. Really, these economic forces want us to be in a position where we are always trying to enjoy our senses, but are never completely satisfied. So if we, if we remain in such a wanting condition, we will remain consumer zombies that are easy to manipulate and easy to exploit. We would stop being good markets if we stopped viewing sense gratification and therefore the acquisition of material wealth as the goal of life. In essence, we would be lousy slaves, no longer responsive to the promptings of advertisers promising satisfaction to whoever buys their product. So it's unlikely that the powerful propagators of materialism and hedonism will do an about-face just to help reduce the crime rate. So we can expect the crime rate to continue to climb. And this could very well lead to the breakdown of our society. Throughout the United States, the cities for more law and order are getting the cries for more law and order getting louder. We're tired of being prisoners in our own apartments. We want to be able to walk the streets without the fear of being raped and mugged or murders. We want the criminals behind bars, and it's a natural feeling. But external, socially administered laws, as well as prisons and jail, are meant for those individual members of society who do not have or do not abide by internal laws. If you can't or will not control your own sensual desires and actions, then society has to step in and do it for you. So the desire to enjoy some sense object may pressure you to steal something but you can say no to that desire. If you're successful at controlling your desires and your actions, then there's no need for society to control your body for you. But if you cannot control your desires and you end up stealing, then the officers of an extreme control enter the picture. The need for external control exists when there is no internal control. So the cry for increased law and order is a petition for increased external control. 
And it has come about because of the alarming increase in the number of people who have no internal control. An example being the increase in the number of hedonists. So the call for a crackdown on criminals has justifiably frightened many civil libertarians. They see it as a move towards totalitarianism and fascism. And they, like most of us, feel that a police state is at least as undesirable as a society teeming with criminals. And they correctly fear that in our attempt to solve one problem, we may end up creating an ever bigger problem. Unfortunately, however, although most civil libertarians are aware of the dangers of America becoming a police state, they cannot help it keep it from happening. That's because they have no solution to the crime problem. So the more society becomes a wild jungle, the louder word world the cry for law and order becomes. The demand for order is simply a natural and inevitable reaction to the chaos. There's no way to keep totalitarianism, totalitarianism at bay unless the level of crime is brought under control. So a free democratic society can exist only as long as most of the individuals within that society have at least a fairly good grip on their senses. If we were all completely satisfied internally, and we could all control our minds and bodies, there'd be no need whatsoever for laws for external forces of control like police. Of course, such a perfect society is not feasible and practical. But the more internal control more of us have, the less need there is for external control over us. And conversely, the less internal control we have, the more external forces are needed to control us. So our freedom and our democracy depends upon our ability to restrain, control our desires and our actions. So the all-pervasive message of hedonism continually eats away at our ability and, and even our desire to control our senses. The mass media has successfully manipulated us into feeling that anyone who tries to control his senses is a weirdo or an outcast. The homosexual is not strange. The celibate is the weirdo. The promiscuous 17-year-old who has had three abortions fits in, but the 17-year-old virgin does not. We have been taught that free people are those who do whatever they feel like whenever they feel like it. <clears throat> In classic Orwellian doublespeak, the media has labeled the enslaved free and has even made these free souls feel pity for those of us who are enslaved by so-called inhibitions, hang-ups, and the outdated belief that we should control our senses instead of being controlled by our senses. 
And in this way, hedonism erodes the very foundation upon which our democratic society stands on. People think that poor people commit more crimes because they don't have as much as they need, and this is why there's a lot more poor people in the prisons. And all this shows is that poor criminals cannot afford lawyers to keep them out of jail. Furthermore, the kinds of crimes that the poor crooks, crooks engage in are quite different from those carried out by the rich crooks. Every middle and upper class person who cheats on his tax return is stealing as much or more than a burglar. And the IRS estimates that there are literally millions of such tax cheaters. They built the government out of $100 billion a year, yet these people are not caught. There are millions of middle and upper class white collar criminals that are never caught. The emphasis in law enforcement just isn't on such crimes. The poor criminal has to do his thing on the street level where there's a greater chance of confrontation with those who would stop him. Therefore, there's not only a greater chance of getting caught, but also a greater potential for violence. And it is the violence that law enforcement agencies tend to focus on. So just because there's more poor criminals in prison doesn't mean that there are more poor criminals. And the thinking that most poor criminals steal out of a genuine physical need is crapola. Do you really believe that the guy who robs the liquor store takes the money and buys a loaf of bread for his starving mother? Really? That's naivete. These petty thieves spend the money on flashy clothes, cars, jewelry, more than anything else, drugs like cigarettes, alcohol, pot, heroin, and crack. And the studies have shown that most crimes are committed by a relatively small number of thieves, each of whom commits hundreds of crimes a year. I mean, these guys are mugging and robbing primarily for dope money. Otherwise, they'd be rich, right? If a guy commits an average one or two robberies, a day and averages say a hundred bucks a hit. You're looking at between forty and eighty thousand dollars in tax free dollars a year. So in other words, the so called poor criminal who commits most of the street crimes, he's not poor at all unless you call someone with a forty to eighty thousand dollar yearly income poor. But you might think that it's their addiction to the drug that leads them to commit the crimes. And if their use of drugs is due to being poor and frustrated, then poverty is the root cause of crime. But the reality is that the frustration due to being poor may be an immediate cause of their turning to drugs and to crime. But it's not the root cause. If poverty were the root cause, then people who are not poor to begin with would not be frustrated and would not be turning to drugs. But people who have been wealthy their entire lives are also frustrated and also into drugs. So a person may be frustrated because he sees all the advertisements for the goodies, but he doesn't have the money to buy them. So he takes the drugs to forget the frustration. The rich person, on the other hand, has the goodies that are supposed to satisfy him, but they don't. So he's frustrated. 
and he turns to drugs to forget his misery. And by the way, the rich person may also turn to crime in order to pay for his drug habit, but due to his position in society, his crimes are less noticeable, so he's less likely to be caught. In any case, it's clear that the root cause of crime, at least here in the West, is not the lack of basic necessities of survival, but the lack of wisdom and inner spiritual satisfaction. So, what does that mean by internal spiritual satisfaction? What does that mean when we talk about identity? What? That, that we're not the body. Oh, my God. Okay. You, every, most everybody that's listening to this program has a vehicle, right? And it's probably either parked in front of your car in a carport or a driver. Why doesn't that vehicle drive by itself? It doesn't drive by itself because it needs the driver to facilitate the movement of the vehicle. That's a given, okay? Now let's relate that to the body. What is the difference between a living body and a dead body? It's the same thing. The driver. With a living body, the driver is facilitating the movement of the body. In a dead body, the driver of the body is gone. Makes sense a little bit, right? Who then is the driver? That driver is also known as the soul. The material body is a temporary fix. You know that once it's born, it's going to die. That's a given. You just don't know when, you don't know where, and you don't know how, but you know it's a given. The soul never dies. The soul is eternal. But according to desires, according to the structure and the acquisition of things in life, those desires determine the future body of the soul. You see, the purpose of the soul is to go back home to the spiritual world where he came from. That's basically the purpose. But the soul comes to the material world because the soul sees that the supreme soul, God, is enjoying limitlessly. And the soul says, wow, I, I, wish, I wish I could enjoy like that. Okay, once that thought comes into mind, bam, welcome to the material world. You might be in the human form. That's how it starts. It starts in the human form. But then certain desires creep in. Eating and sleeping and mating and defending. Okay? That's inherent in all of us. But eating and sleeping, mating and defending is inherent in every other creature on the planet. So what separates the the 
soul in the human form from the soul in the lesser form, the animals, the bugs, the plants, whatever. What's the difference? The difference is below the human form, all those forms are controlled by the forces of nature. They do what they do because nature dictates it. A tiger kills other animals and people. A shark kills other fish and surfers. I mean, it goes on, but they don't suffer karma because they're controlled by nature, and that's part of their makeup. Human form has a choice, and that's the essence of what I just talked about. The human form has a choice. The human form can turn to the desire for sense gratification and the acquisition of more and more and more temporary material things, or he can somehow turn to the desire to rekindle his relationship with his Supreme Father. Now you're on two separate paths. One is simply sense pleasure, and the other is a pleasure derived from developing a relationship with your eternal father and trying some way to serve him. Even if that service to him requires you to have a job and work and make money and have a house and drive a car and support a family, somehow you can render service to him. The easiest and simplest way to do that is before you eat anything, you offer it to your Supreme Father. But there's one catch, and it's not a happy catch for a lot of people. In many of the world's scriptures, the Supreme Father states that he will only accept plant-based foods or milk products. Wow. That means that if you sit down to a steak dinner, you can only offer the peas and carrots or the cheese because he will not accept that steak or that chicken or that fish or whatever. So it gets to the point where now you have to pick and choose what you're going to offer back to your father. Well, that gets frustrating, and in time, you're going to not want to pick and choose. You're just going to want to be able to offer everything to him because why would you be duplistic? In other words, you want to please him, you want to offer some service to him by offering some of your food, but the other food which you can't offer to him, you want to offer it to your senses and still engage in sense gratification. It's going to catch up to you and you can't do both. So that's the key. That's very short, very simple. If you're on a plant-based diet and you eat dairy products, you can offer everything that you eat to him. Now, let's say 
you're a vegan, and you don't eat dairy products, like me, what do you do if you still want to offer dairy products to him? Well, let's say you make macaroni and cheese, but you don't want to eat it because you're lactose intolerant. So you make the macaroni and cheese and you offer it to your eternal father and then you put it out on your back porch. Let me tell you, there's enough birds and insects and dogs and cats and whatever that are out there that would give their left arm for macaroni and cheese. So you've accomplished two purposes. Number one, you've offered everything to your Supreme Father. And number two, because he accepts what has been offered, the karma is gone from the killing of what it took to prepare. When you pick a plant off a bush, that kills the plant, right? But you're still eating it. And there's karma involved in the killing of the plant. But, he says with a straight face, if you offer that with love and devotion to your eternal father and he accepts it, the karma is removed. That makes the food, the food purified, which purifies you, the soul. When you take that macaroni and cheese that you offered with love and devotion to your eternal father, you put that outside for the dogs and cats and the birds, they are eating purified food, and that will enable them in the future to take on a human form and possibly be in the position to turn to their father. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Moving on here, he says with a straight face. You know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get back into health. I mean, I, I just felt that, you know, it, it it would be interesting to bring up a subject that not many people know about or even heard about. And if you want to know more, feel free to contact me. You can. Email me at heshgoldstein at gmail.com. You can call me at 808-258-1177. You can visit my website, which is healthtalkhawaii.com. You can hear hundreds of radio shows. You can read hundreds of articles. You can go to the product section, and you can find products that will build your immune system and reverse so much disease, it's ridiculous. It's all out there. It's all baby steps, but sooner or later you have to you have to make a turn for the for the better and not for the worse. So moving on here, the truth is out out there and it's plain enough for anyone with an open mind to see. The lamestream media and the progressive left are vaccine advocates and will do whatever they can, including lying and forcing their views on others by law to push their pro-vaccine agenda. The latest example of this comes from none other than PBS host 
Gwen Ifill, who completely fabricated a statistic recently regarding the death toll from last fall's measles outbreak at Disneyland, which was an incident that prompted state lawmakers to usurp parental choice by passing the most restrictive vaccination law in the country. And there is a website out there. If you go to goodgopher, G-O-P-H-E-R.com, goodgopher.com, and put in vaccination lies. (laughs) Oh, my God. So state lawmakers in California imposed one of the nation's strictest vaccination laws. And Gwen, I feel, reported during a recent newscast that the state assembly voted to require that nearly all public school children get their shots or get taken out of public school and be homeschooled. And that bill gained momentum after a measles outbreak that started at Disneyland and killed more than 100 people. That, that was the fact that was purported that was pure fiction. That 100 death figure is off by 100. Why? Because not a single person died as a result of the Disneyland scare. And although Gwen can be forgiven for not knowing any better, given the hype that the mainstream media heaped on the public for weeks on end over a story that didn't have a single casualty, This non-story became the single biggest domestic story in the United States. It led to the passage of the most restrictive vaccine law in the land, a law that some progressive Democrats want to emulate nationwide. And we'll get to that down the road. So anyone who follows politics and political reporting knows that this Gwen Chick is a veteran journalist. She wasn't reading the evening news as some fill-in or by accident. She is the co-anchor of the PBS NewsHour, and she is the managing editor and moderator of Washington Week. And yet, she read those lines as if they were well-established facts, which is an indication that she has been unquestioningly swallowing the media hype over vaccine as much as any incredulous viewer. Worse than script also appears on the PBS NewsHour website, indicates that her staff is as ignorant as she is about the seriousness of the Disneyland story. Do you understand? I mean, it's like the, the this most recent measles-related death involved a woman from Washington State who had been vaccinated against the disease. Not only was she already vaccinated against the measles, it was other big farm medications that ultimately killed her. And as the Daily Mail reports, 
Dr. Jeanette Stirr-Green, the Clallium County Health Officer, told KOMO-TV the woman had been vaccinated as a child, but because she had other health problems and was taking medications that interfere with her response to an infection, she was not protected. In other words, the woman's immune system was compromised by pharmaceuticals. And the so-called immunization of a measles vaccine failed to work. But the vaccine-pushing U.S. media twisted the story around, withholding from the public that the fact was that she was already vaccinated and that her immune system was compromised by the FDA-approved medications. So as for making the California law universal around the company, around the country, U.S. Representative Frederica Wilson, the Democrat from Florida, has just introduced legislation, which is House Resolution Bill 2232, that if it's passed and signed into law, would mandate that all states require all students enrolled in public schools to be vaccinated with all vaccines recommended by the Advisory Committee on Immunization Policy policy, which is a federal entity comprised chiefly of vaccine industry representatives, otherwise known as Big Farm. So her bill calls for children to be vaccinated specifically against HPV, hepatitis A, hepatitis B, and Paul Offit's rotavirus vaccine and annual flu shots and dozens of other. So the push has begun to spread vaccine mandates to every corner of the United States. And the progressive left will do anything it can to ensure what happens. The problem is, and it never ends, we are a country of pimps, hookers, and tricks. Seriously. And I talked about this on my Saturday show, which is also on American Voice Radio. Pimps, hookers, and tricks involve one thing, making money. The pimps want the money. The hookers get paid from the pimps to push products that the tricks will buy so they, in turn, can benefit while the pimps prosper. I mean, it's not rocket science. You see it every day. You got the pimps of the pharmaceutical industry, the biotech industry like Monsanto, the large food companies, the Cattlemen's Association, all these big dairy industry, all these people that have a product that they want to be consumed and mass. But they can't do it alone. That's where the hookers come in. So they get the mainstream media, they get the medical doctors, they get the food stores, they get the government agencies, they get the court system, they get the judges, they get the politicians to get out there and mandate certain things so that we, the tricks, will have this to buy. 
when you have people that say, no, you've got to stay away from biotech, you've got to stay away from GMO, you've got to stay away from being ill, you have to stay away from pharmaceuticals, people say, well, I don't know how to do that, how do I do that? Well, the best way, the easiest way, the simplest way is to be on a plant-based diet that is as more organic as you can believe. You've got toxic chemicals in all the flesh foods that you eat. You have bovine growth hormones. You have GMOs. You have things in there, antibiotics, that they get more antibiotics than human beings get so they don't die off early. This is what you get. You got milk products that have bovine growth hormones in it. You got milk products that is nothing more than liquid fat. You have eggs that create so much stress on your liver and your kidneys that you that you're in you, you're you're obsessed with having to take drugs. But a plant-based diet gives you fiber. A plant people get stints because their articles are so small so they stick a thing in there to make the artery big to let the blood flow why does a person have a narrow artery because of eating the stuff that just clogs the artery you have to take responsibility for you i can only give you this the information i mean hell i'm 76 years old i don't have any illnesses i don't take any meds I'm in two softballs leagues. I swim a half a mile to a mile a week. I do cardio. I do weight training. I just do whatever I can to keep my body fit. Why can't you do it? You got to start somewhere because the media and the pimps and the hookers don't want you to do this. They just want to get rich off of your sickness. And the quicker you understand that, the quicker you can make a change. So I'm telling you again, check out my website, healthtalkhawaii.com. Think about taking organic sulfur. That will reduce, that will reverse everything. Superfoods like zeal and shakeology do wonders to build the immune system. Bee pollen that melts in your mouth boosts an immune system. I can only tell you what what's available and how to get it and where to get it. You have to take control. I can't do that for you. Anyway, George Harrison is doing his thing and it's my favorite song on the planet. And with that, uh, I'll say aloha and I'll catch you all next week. Aloha.
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. The fruits are grown in chaos, distrust, and economic depression. A weary populace can seek peace only from the solutions they offer. They have worked until suicide has become so common that it generally calls forth no legitimate investigation. They have used the courts, the judges, the medical profession, and even the Constitution to further their ends. America now has over one million of its citizens in prison for political crimes. So who are they? And how long have they been at this? Psychopolitical Warfare is a 70-page color cover booklet that describes the strategy and tactics behind psychopolitics. Psychopolitics is only $10 from The American Voice. Go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information. Time is money and knowledge is power. That's why you need the Basic Research Library CD from the American Voice Now. This CD contains the Federalist Papers, which are the definitive writings illustrating the intent of the Constitution, and the Anti-Federalist Papers, which read like a crystal ball to everything gone wrong concerning the present-day Constitution. This CD also contains Bobier's Law Dictionary and the Uniform Commercial Code, plus the inaugural speeches of the U.S. Presidents, the U.N. Charter, NAFTA, Hitler's Mein Kampf, the full Communist Manifesto, the Patriot Act 1 and 2, the model anti-bioterrorism law, the Homeland Security Bill, the FBI's Project Medigo, and too much more to mention here. The CD contains over a thousand files. To order your CD, go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call us at 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information. Welcome to the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Devon, editor of the American Voice newspaper. We'll be bringing news, commentary, and just a little attitude. So sit tight. Things are about to get up. Alrighty, this is the uh, Frank Report, and you're listening on American Voice Radio Network. Okay, we're heard on the big C-band satellite dish beaming into your home from outer space on Galaxy 11, that's G7, the old G7, Galaxy 11, Transponder 12, Audio 8.10. All right, that's where you can hear us on the big C-band satellite dish. And if you're a rebroadcaster, that's how we would prefer you pick it up. You can also listen on the Internet on AmericanVoiceRadio.com or AmericanVoiceRadio.net. Okay? So you can go there, and it's a Windows Media stream there. We've bumped it up to 16. It's pretty good now, other than uh, 
you know, it still is an Internet stream, so that's why we say if you are rebroadcasting, we really do prefer you pick it up off the C-band satellite because that's the best sound we provide right now uh, for uh, anybody, actually. We're also heard on shortwave, international shortwave radio, 15.725. That's out of Miami, Florida, WRMI, 15.725. Hey, funny thing about these roosters, you know, they don't say much all morning long until they hear, oh, he's on the radio. Time to go crazy. Anyway, speaking of which, if it's uh, June 10th and it's about 12.05 in the afternoon, Pacific Time Coast, then we are live. That would be 3.05 over there on the uh, right-hand coast. Uh, We're live, if that's the case where you are. It's the year 2004 for those of you really confused folks out there who don't even know what year it is. Uh, That's what it is. You can call in. And and you know what? Today, folks, I I really would like some calls. Uh, 1-800-433-1429. Predominantly, uh, you know, I want to know how the radios come in. And every once in a while, a couple times a month, I like to put out the call and see how uh, shortwave radios coming in. All right? 15.725, how are we coming in and where are we coming in in that way? Whatever way that might be, 1-800-433-1429. You don't even have to pay for the call. We'll pick up the tab, 1-800-433-1429. That's a toll-free call, meaning free to you, folks. What more do you want? Come on, 1-800-433-1429. Help me out. Tell me how the radio is doing. You know, and of course, if you're listening on the Internet, we're always glad to hear how that's coming in, how consistent it, has it been, uh, do you appreciate the new sound, and, you know, the better sound. I mean, it's double the bit rate. It should be twice as good a sound, right? That's what we're hoping anyway. And then you folks on the C-band, any rebroadcasters, hey, anybody out there, now this is especially going out to you. This is who I really, really want to call today. Anybody who's listening on an AM or FM radio station. Now, if you're listening on an AM, FM radio station, they are rebroadcasting this, which is great. We're all for that. We love that idea. Uh, But we don't know who's doing it and who's not and where you're at and where you're not at. So the only way we have to know right now, if nobody will cooperate, is if you call in 1-800-433-1429. That's toll free. Okay, enough begging for phone calls. We'll get to uh, we'll get to uh, the rest of the really big shoe stealing the line from Ed Sullivan. Uh, okay, the big news still is Ronald Reagan. Apparently, uh, Las Vegas, the strip in Las Vegas, uh, is going to shut off its lights uh, for a certain amount of time. Uh, it's only done it seven times apparently in in its history to uh, you know honor the president, which is it, it's fine. Uh, like I, I keep saying, you know, I really don't have anything against Ronald Reagan, uh, and I do recognize he is probably the best president in my lifetime. In other words, starting at LBJ up, all right? So if you look at the presidents from LBJ up, uh, yeah, you, you know, you'd have to say Ronald Reagan was probably the best president. And that's not necessarily, you know, best policies, best results, best, you know, any of that stuff. Just the best president overall. I mean, because you know what? A leader 
has to have a certain air about him. You know, when he walks in a room, he has to have a certain way, a certain charisma. You know, the American people want a certain representation of America. You know, a presentation. It doesn't have to be real, all right? You know, the policies that Ronald Reagan uh, promoted, and, and I'm not, you know, I don't know what was in the guy's heart. Maybe he really believed it. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But the policies that he, you know, spewed forth were not necessarily the policies carried out by his administration or the government. Okay, we have to remember that and not clower a little rose-covered eyes with, oh, Ronald Reagan's dead and everybody just only remember the good. Well, that's fine. You know, you don't have to lie to yourself to honor what he did do. Okay, Ronald Reagan accomplished several really important things, okay? And and that can never be taken away from him. But there's no need for people to go out there and, you know, make up more than it was, you know, the myth. Because there were a lot of things wrong with the Reagan administration also. There were a lot of bad decisions, a lot of things they did bad, a lot of policies that they talked about that never got done. All right? But... You know, that's less of a criticism than a reality because, again, if you do take Ronald Reagan as a whole, the administration as a whole, and compare it to pretty much from LBJ to George Jr., uh, you got to say the Reagan administration and Reagan as president was the best out of that group. You know, whether you're – and, you know, they are recognizing that. Democrats and Republicans are realizing that, you know – Ronald Reagan had it. Whatever it is, he had it. And that's never going to be taken away from him. But the fact is, let's pay attention to the policies. Let's pay attention to the reality. You know, mourn, remember, honor, but let's move on, okay? The fact of the matter is, the world is falling apart. We are in an election cycle, and things are looking pitiful. Look at the choices this nation has right now. You know, you can sit and you can remember Ronald Reagan all you'd like, but it doesn't change what's going on right now. You know, sitting and remembering the good old days is fine when you're sitting around the campfire and, and, and you know, shooting it with your friends. But, you know, one one thing that's really disturbing to me is how the Bush administration, or should I say the Bush re-election campaign, well, it's the same thing, is using Ronald Reagan's accomplishments to their own benefit, as though somehow because Ronald Reagan called himself a Republican and George Jr. calls himself a Republican, that somehow the accomplishments and charisma of the Reagan administration somehow should, you know, uh, connect to George Jr.'s administration. And I'm sorry, folks, but I'm insulted by that. You know, and I'm certainly not the greatest Ronald Reagan cheerleader. You know, I mean, I recognize his accomplishments and honor him, you know, as as an ex-dead president for that. But, uh, you know, reality keeps creeping in, uh, you know, to 
you know, my view of the whole thing, and I haven't completely gone blind and forgot the way it really was. All right? But all that aside, for George Bush to try to capitalize, and that's what he's doing, is trying to capitalize on Ronald Reagan, is, is, is really low in, in my mind. You know, and if John Kerry tried to do it, it'd be even lower, all right? Only because, you know, he he can't even say, well, I, oh, well, back then I was a Republican. You know, baloney, you know? I mean, the Democrats viciously attacked Ronald Reagan throughout his administration, okay? Now, so for all of a sudden now for them all to play nice and have ni- nothing but nice things to say is ludicrous. It's disingenuous. It's just part of who they are, which is a bunch of liars, but, of course, you know, that, that applies to the Republicans also, because as they may have been on board with Reagan and like Reagan, uh, they no more follow the policies that Reagan spoke of than Ronald Reagan did. Okay? Oh, there were a couple things. I mean, and, you know, you look at things and you say, well, gosh, what has any president accomplished? yeah. Comparatively speaking, you look at Reagan, and man, he did accomplish. He didn't certainly accomplish even half of the policies he talked about accomplishing, but he did accomplish some of them. Okay, so, wow, that's something. Because most presidents don't accomplish much of anything. Well, I mean, as far as policy goes. Now, if George Bush would have, when he, when he went to get elected, said, listen... I'm going to completely destroy the economy by running up the deficit, running up the debt, exporting all your jobs, and completely opening the Mexican border and uh, making 12 million illegals legal at the stroke of a pen. Well, now, if he would have said that was his policy in his campaign, well, then everybody would be going right now, well, well, gee, the man did exactly what he said he was going to do. Really? Yeah, it'd be really. It'd be true. But you see, he didn't say that. And, you know, the, the conservative Republican out there is, is I, I don't understand you. How can you, you can't call yourself a conservative any more than George Bush can anymore. If you sit there and call yourself a conservative and allow this man to continue on with your support, you are no more conservative than John Kerry is a conservative. All right? Oh, yeah, well, he wants to open up the border. He's going to let the Mexican trust roll on every U.S. highway out there. So, folks, you know when your kids and your wives uh, get rolled over and killed by a Mexican pile of trash called a truck down there with some Mexican who's been driving 48 hours straight because the rules don't apply to him and he kills your family? You know what? There's nothing you can do about it. That guy will get shipped on off back to Mexico, and he'll be back on the roads in three weeks or less. So there's nothing you can do about it, all right? So just swallow it and relish in your Republican conservatism. Oh, but it's a treaty. They have no choice. Well, the United States has broken every treaty it's ever signed, all right? And that's historical, folks. Not hysterical, historical. The United States has never fulfilled any treaty it's ever signed, including the Geneva Convention, 
which they are breaking daily. And I'm not only talking about Iraq. See, Iraq is only a symptom of what's been going on for years. It's been going on in the streets of America for years. This is how law enforcement has been trained. It started at Guantanamo with the military action. Well, well, you know, nothing's really going on there because nobody's allowed in there. They won't let the Red Cross in. They won't let uh, Amnesty International in there. All they say is, well, we've investigated and we found out nothing went wrong. Everything's fine. Don't worry. You can trust us. Ah, you know what? The days of, uh, you know, the fantasy Hollywood version of A Few Good Men, that's all it is, folks, is a movie. All right? It's a movie. It's a Hollywood fantasy. There are no good guys in the military fighting the system, bringing down the evil colonels who are abusing people and hiding the truth. That's not going on. Because you know what? We've got a story right here about a sergeant who tried to do that in Iraq. And what happens in today's military is they discredit you and then they transfer you. That's what they do now. So there are no good guys going to you know, come to the rescue of the Guantanamo prisoners because, why, what you're doing just isn't right, Colonel, and I'm going to expose you. Ha! If that was the case, you would have never been allowed at Guantanamo, folks. The military has gone years getting just the right kind of officer in there. And, you know, hey, a lot of that fault goes to Ronald, uh, not Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton. Okay, a lot of that fault goes to Bill Clinton, because you know what he did with the military. But George Jr. is not fixing it, is he? He hasn't fixed it. He hasn't changed it. What was the first thing Bill Clinton did when he got to Washington? He fired everybody in high positions. Fired everybody. Put in his own people. Oh, man, the Republicans squealed. Well, why didn't George Bush do that? Because the new boss is the same as the old boss. That's why. The faces change, but the boss remains the same. Just don't look behind that curtain is all. Because won't you be disturbed then? Speaking of uh, disturbed, when we come back, we're going to take our break in about a minute. When we come back, we are going to... uh, talk about some disturbed people and uh you know the lies just it's it's so unbelievable how you know education's turned to propaganda in this country and everybody you know it's just one big mental experiment one big psychological project okay the mass media the whole thing is it's it's just one big experiment next thing you know you'll all be drooling when the bell rings i i mean it's it's unbelievable, it's so obvious, and, and yet nobody sees it. And not nobody, I know a lot of you listeners out there, you wouldn't be listening if you didn't see something. You'd be watching Rush Limbaugh on TV or on the radio, wherever he is. I guess for the money he's getting paid, he could be anywhere he wants to be. But the thing is, 
You wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't see something wrong already. Anyway, all I can do is come back and give you some specifics. So stay tuned. We'll be back in just a few. commercial redemption or accepted for value, The Commerce Game Exposed is the book that will help you understand this process. The fact is, there is no lawful money in circulation. The explanation and details as to how this happened are enlightening, and the instructions concerning what one can do with this information are detailed and easy to understand. Utilizing this process is not for everyone, but learning how lawful money has been turned into commercial debt instruments should be of concern to everyone. The Commerce Game Exposed book is a good tool to learn the commercial nature of the New World Order. To order The Commerce Game Exposed, go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050. Whether you call it redemption, accepted for value, or the commerce game, whether you have studied this process, utilized this information already, or are thinking about using it, you need to attend the Honor Dishonor Workshop presented by Victoria Joy. The next workshop is in San Diego, California, June 25, 26, and 27. To make arrangements to attend, call one 407-962-0588. That's 1-407-962-0588. Ask for Iris. Folks, everything in commerce is correctable. Learn how to fix defects in your process or how to avoid them in the first place. Attend the workshop in San Diego, California, June 25, 26, and 27. Call one 1- Remember to tell them you heard it on American Voice Radio. Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stepton, and you are listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com or AmericanVoiceRadio.net. You can listen on the C-Band Satellite, Galaxy 11, Transponder 12, Audio 8.10, and on shortwave to this show, 15.725 RMI out of Miami, Florida. Okay, the call-in number is 1-800. Okay, that's toll-free, 1-800. Got that down? Okay, now concentrate on the rest of the numbers, because that must be the problem. That must be why I'm not getting any calls, because you just can't write fast enough. 433-1429. Come on, give me a call. 433-1429. It's toll-free. It's on us. So all you got to do is dial and talk. Okay? you got to have something to say, don't you? I can't be the only one here that has anything to say. 
Well, okay, if I am, I'll just continue on then. Now, little something here. Now, you'll, uh, you'll like this. The National Mental Health Association. Okay, the National Mental Health Association. Folks, these are the same people that decide that your children need Prozac, your children need Ritalin, your children need to be drugged so they can make the teacher's life a little easier and not have to deal with those disruptive little boys, okay? Somebody forgot to tell the Mental Health Association that little boys are naturally disruptive, okay? That's why they're called little boys, but now the mental health group says to drug them because Prozac and Ritalin are both psychotropic drugs, all right? Tranquilizers, mind control drugs. They make your mind more pliable. They calm you down and open you to suggestion. So in other words, when little Johnny wasn't paying attention to the New World Order, queers are really okay, it's just another lifestyle. Now they dope him up. And not only is he quiet, his mind is accepting these thoughts. And he goes home, and you know, you don't want to be a politically incorrect mama or papa and tell little Johnny when he comes home from school now, you know, queers are sick, diseased, dangerous individuals, do you? Well, you should. I'm telling you, you should, okay? And I don't much care what the Mental Health Association has to say about it. And I don't much care what the queers have to say about it either. And I'll tell you for why. See, I'm not just saying this. This isn't just vicious attacks on a poor alternative lifestyle. Uh Uh-uh. True statements. Everything I just said is a true statement. Let's back that up, shall we? We don't have much time, but we'll continue after the break. The National Mental Health Association has declared that changing one's sexual orientation from homosexual to heterosexual can be damaging to mental health. In other words, once little Johnny's convinced he's a queer, to try to convince little Johnny that no, that little thingy there uh, hanging is for this, not that, okay? This is natural. This is unnatural. This is proper usage. This is deviant usage. Okay? When you try to tell little Johnny after he's already made up his mind that he is a uh, butt buddy, it could damage little Johnny's mental health, so says the Mental Health Association. Now, uh, PFOX. You're going to have to look that up because I don't have that written down here. I've just got a little start here. This is a headline. It's a big story. It goes on and on and on. And basically, these two paragraphs basically cover the whole what was said in the article. Uh, PFOX is actually a uh, a group that is, is telling queers that, you know what, come here, let us talk to you and uh, get you back on the right track, on the... <laughs> A pun is intended. Back on the straight path. (laughs) Ah, boy, if it wasn't so disgusting and deviant, it'd be funny. 
PFOX talks a lot about gay reform, and we think those messages can actually be damaging to someone's mental health. Browning McNee is quoted as saying, If you look at statistics of suicide, it's easy to conclude that anyone who is sending out the message that homosexuality is wrong should not be at conferences supporting good mental health. In other words, heterosexual is not conducive to mental health. Okay, telling somebody they're wrong is damaging to their mental health. But, you know, and we're talking about queers here, actually, but isn't this kind of the way throughout society? These psychological engineers here, I'll tell you what, I'm going to play the commercial. Now, you listen real close. You get the information, and you get this book. It's 11 bucks shipped right to you, okay? It's 11 bucks shipped right to you. Psychopolitical Warfare. You read that little pamphlet. It's a well, little pamphlet. It's about booklet. It's about eighty something pages. But you read that thing and you look around and you'll see exactly what's going on. And we'll be back in just a few. are grown in chaos, distrust, and economic depression. A weary populace can seek peace only from the solutions they offer. They have worked until suicide has become so common that it generally calls forth no legitimate investigation. They have used the courts, the judges, the medical profession, and even the Constitution to further their ends. America now has over one million of its citizens in prison for political crimes. So who are they? And how long have they been at this? Psychopolitical Warfare is a 70-page color cover booklet that describes the strategy and tactics behind psychopolitics. Psychopolitics is only $10 from The American Voice. Go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information. The Inside View with Desert Owl, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. right here on American Voice Radio Network. Desert interviews the most interesting and controversial guests you will hear on radio and takes calls, too. Listen on Galaxy 11, Channel 12, Audio 8.10, on your big C-band satellite dish, and on the Internet at AmericanVoiceRadio.com or .net, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Time is money and knowledge is power. That's why you need the Basic Research Library CD from the American Voice Now. This CD contains the Federalist Papers, which are the definitive writings illustrating the intent of the Constitution, and the Anti-Federalist Papers, which read like a crystal ball to everything gone wrong concerning the present-day Constitution. This CD also contains Bobier's Law Dictionary and the Uniform Commercial Code, plus 
The inaugural speeches of the U.S. presidents, the U.N. Charter, NAFTA, Hitler's Mein Kampf, the full Communist Manifesto, the Patriot Act 1 and 2, the model anti-bioterrorism law, the Homeland Security Bill, the FBI's Project Medigo, and too much more to mention here. The CD contains over a thousand files. To order your CD, go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call us at 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information. This is the American Voice Radio Network. Broadcasting live on satellite at Galaxy 7, Transponder 12, Audio 8.1. We're on the Internet at AmericanVoiceRadio.com. You can hear American Voice Radio 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Frank report. I told you, I warned you, I threatened you that I'd be back, and sure enough, here I am. So, uh, this is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening on American Voice Radio Network, and uh, we're heard on C-band, internet, shortwave, we're all over the place. Uh, apparently, nobody's listening, though, because none of you are calling, and I got a toll-free number here, so it can't be that you're too cheap to call because it doesn't cost you anything. 1-800-433-1429. Apparently, if you are listening, nobody out there has any thoughts in their head, not that they can articulate, that's for sure, because nobody's calling. Is it that I'm just too darn interesting? Is that it? I'm just so riveting that nobody wants to interrupt me. Could that be it? (laughs) Yeah, that could be it, I suppose. Let me get my rubber boots on before it gets uh, too deep in here. Anyway, that's okay. You don't have to call in. Uh, It'd be nice if you did, but, uh, you know, I can't count on you to do anything, so I have to do it. So we'll just continue on, won't we? Anyway, we just got done. We left off where if uh, you look at the statistics of suicide, okay, this uh, national mental health, Association is basically saying if you think queers are sick, if you think queers should be turned around and put back on the straight path, then you have no business talking about good mental health. Because basically they say that you are making people commit suicide. Well, My point when we left is, isn't that what's going on in society? Nobody wants to be told what you're doing is wrong, no matter what it is. No, no, no. You don't whip Johnny's little ass when he's out of control. No, no, you don't do that. You just tell Johnny that he needs some quiet time. I know, a time out. That's what you need. Now you be a good boy and have a time out. Well, little Johnny's not cooperating with that. So, we have another idea. We're going to drug little Johnny. 
And we're going to use drugs that make him more pliable to suggestion. So, now you've got your drugged little boys in school being taught by their teachers who are following the guidelines of the National Mental Health Association, teaching your children, your little boys, that being a queer is okay. It's just another lifestyle. And if you want to do that, that's fine. And by the way, here's your condoms. You can get your free condoms here at the public school too. And you go from your little mental health thing to your little sex education deal where they're teaching that homosexuality is just another thing. And folks, kids are curious, all right? And then they get in a group. You know the story. Look at society. You can see what's happening. I am telling you. And this isn't just because I'm selling it. And what's the matter if it's because I just sell it or not? The fact of the matter is we have a booklet, Psychopolitics, 11 bucks. You want to find out how long this sort of thing's been being planned? How phony and disingenuous groups like the National Mental Health Association are? What their real agenda has been since before the 1930s? Where it came from? How it was instituted? Their game plan? I know a lot of you out there are aware of the Communist Manifesto, the Ten Planks of the Communist Manifesto. Well, sure, that was a real thing. It is a real thing. And you look through our society and all ten planks have been instituted. Not very many people can deny it. And if they do deny it, you throw the facts in front of them and they can walk away huffing and puffing and being mad. But the fact remains the same. That's political, folks. You all recognize this. You're all aware of it. You've all heard of it. And, you know, how many years has it had to be drilled into everybody's head before they'll even admit, well, yeah, gee, there might be a communist influence here in America. And you can see that it wasn't by accident. Okay? The Communist Manifesto is old. Been around a long time. They've been working on this for a very long time. So everybody realizes the politics of it. Great. Nobody's noticing that not only are the politics been planned and carried out through generations, folks, so it wasn't just one bad guy. Oh, that darn Roosevelt, that rotten Hitler, that dirty, rotten Stalin. Oh, that big, bad Carter. That bad George Bush, that bad LBJ. It isn't anybody. Oh, that Khrushchev did it. It isn't any one Leader, It isn't any one group in Congress. Folks, this has been carried out. The plans have been carried out through generations. That's why I say the faces change, but the plan remains the same. And most everybody, you know, it's almost undeniable. It's not up for debate. Can't be argued. It's a foregone conclusion, just a fact that the communist, the ten planks of the communist manifesto have been instituted in America. But there's another section to it. How did that happen? How did Americans accept this? Why did Americans accept this? 
Where did the Christian so-called majority in America begin accepting what God says is an abomination? Now, that's not to be a judgmental Christian, because, I mean, you can look around and say, well, that's a sin, but so stealing, so is lying, so is cheating, so is thinking about lying, stealing, cheating. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, so who are we to point the finger? Well, you've got to read on a little bit more in the Bible, your own Bible, and not listen to that 501 corporate CEO government beast cooperate. Uh, what do you call those guys? Now I'm stumbling for words. Not cooperator. <laughs> that's what I was going to say and realized, wait a minute, I'm not even sure that's a word. Cooperator. And it's not conspirator. What do you call those folks in collaborator? That's it. Collaborator. That's what your pastor is if he's a 501c3 corporate pastor. He is a collaborator with the beast. So you've got to take everything that guy tells you with a grain of salt and check it in your own Bible. And if it don't wash with the Bible, you've got to stick it in his face and say, listen, man, straighten up. Read him the part about where, uh, you know, if the shepherd leads the you know, flock astray, what happens to him? Read him that part. Put him on the carpet. Not because you're judging him, but because you're watching his works, and you're checking it with the Bible, and you're calling him on the carpet and saying, listen, it ain't about me, it's about God. And God says this. Go back to the Word of God, and you can't lose, folks. But, Where and how did Americans start accepting this? Where and how did Americans in a free republic start accepting the ten planks of the Communist Manifesto? Why would you do this? Well, there would have to be something else, right? I mean, everybody didn't just wake up one morning with lawful money, at least the morals to realize that homosexuality is wrong, okay? The freedom and liberty was more important than safety. They didn't just go to bed one night believing that and wake up the next morning going, gee, you know what? I think we got too much freedom. Somebody could use it against us. Uh, we need some more rules. We need bigger government. I want the government taking care of me from cradle to grave. I don't need all this freedom, and I want my children taught how to be a queer I want them taught how to have sex. I want them not to, you know, I want my morals and my religious beliefs attacked day in and day out for six, seven hours a day at school, and I want to pay for all that. That didn't just happen overnight, folks. People were, now get this word, conditioned to accept this over generations. Conditioned. Over generations, just like those dogs in Pavlov's experiments where he rang the bell and they started drooling. They were conditioned to do that over a period of time. It's no different. It's no different. Get, get, Psychopolitical warfare. All right? 
get that book from us. It's a booklet. It's got a nice color. It's a nice booklet. It's a, got a nice cover, uh, color cover. Eleven bucks. Get it. Get some for your friends. Get some for your teacher friends. Folks, you've got to start waking up. Because you're not going to convince anybody unless you real, get them to realize they're being conditioned. And that right there is your only defense against mind control. And that's really what conditioning is. Okay? Psychological conditioning is nothing but mind control. It's not, look at the spinning pinwheel sort of mind control. It's not the beaming in your head. You don't, you're not going to be protected with a tinfoil hat, okay? Your only protection is knowledge. Okay? Your only protection is knowledge because if you know what they're doing, you know why they're doing it, and you know what their goals are, it won't work on you. Because the minute they start their slimy crap, you're going to know it and say, ha, 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 nice try, communist. Beat it. Back to the pit. Get behind me, Satan. That sort of thing. Because where do you think this idea really comes from? Bunch of bad men? No, they're the facilitators in this whole thing. Because we know about, any of you got kids, any of you grandpas out there? You were a, uh, let's say you were a shoemaker, so right away, of course, your son wants to fall in your footsteps. He never argues with you, sees everything your way. Why? He's just like you. And he wants to do, stick with the plan that you've set. He has kids, and boy, they want to be shoemakers too, and they stick with the plan just like he said. Yeah, that's how it works, isn't it? Gee, that doesn't sound how it went with me or anybody I ever met. How I met was, uh, let's see, teenage boys seem to rebel against their fathers. So how does such a well-carried-out generational plan manage to go from generation to generation to generation? I'll tell you how, folks. All those little secret clubs that they talk about, you know, that people talk about, the Illuminati, the Masons, the on and on and on, the Bilderbergers. You know, those are real groups. They really do meet. And look at who's in them. The most powerful people in the world are members of these groups. The CFR, the Trilateral Commission. It goes on and on. Who's the worst? Who's the one? Who knows? Who cares? What's it matter? Satan is behind it. That's the organization to carry on the generational plan. Now, folks, these people say, basically, that if you try to tell a queer they're wrong, what they're doing is a sin, it's an abomination to God, it's a health hazard, you're risking causing them to commit suicide, and you have no business talking about good mental health. In other words, you are making people mentally ill. The fact of the matter is, if you're queer, you are mentally ill, You've been led to believe a lie. I believe this is part, and only part, of what the Bible says 
the lack of knowledge for the lack of knowledge my people are lost because folks the knowledge of how they are manipulating your thought processes is knowledge that can defend you they can't mind control you if you know what they're trying to do you think if the dogs knew Okay, you're going to keep ringing the bell and giving me food, and then you're going to take the food away and keep ringing the bell, and I'll start drooling. Uh Uh-huh. I know the game. Well, yeah, let's do that. I don't think so. Sure, the dogs would eat the food and drool, but, hey, when the bell rang and there's no food, hey, no food. But, see, the dogs didn't have the knowledge of what was going on, and neither do most Americans. And that's why they're being manipulated. Lack of knowledge. We've got the books. We've got the information. All you got to do is come up with 11 bucks and get it. Anyway, now, most of you are already aware, so we'll do this first, uh, of the biblical negatives against homosexuality. But let's look at some health things, because the mental health people have, have basically su- suggested that if you tell queers they're wrong, you're risking them committing suicide. Okay? So this is not conducive to mental health, says them. But they seem to be turning a blind eye to the health hazards that homosexuals uh, facilitate in society. Death and disease accompany promiscuous and unsanitary sexual activity, which is homosexual activity, folks. I mean, come on. Look at the equipment and use your imagination, all right? That's unsanitary. 70 to 78% of queers reported having had sexually transmitted diseases. 70 to 78. Folks, if you think I'm making this stuff up, uh, you go look it up, all right? The proportion with intestinal parasites, worms, flukes, amoeba, range from 25% to 39%. Well, like I said, you can go look it up. Where do I have this stuff? Uh, anyway, I, go. okay, I'll tell you after the break, because we've got to take a break. You can go to our website and get this stuff and look at all the uh, footnotes. Look it all up yourself. Anyway, we got to take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Stay tuned. has just introduced a 2,000-year-old Himalayan secret to long life, goji juice. Dr. Mendel says this is the biggest health breakthrough in 40 years, backed by scientific research, and when checked under the microscope, it was found the goji berry could very well be the most nutritionally dense food on Earth. 
This goji berry has been made into a delicious, all-natural juice, not pasteurized and never heated. So give your body a real treat, a real food. Comes with a 90-day money-pack guarantee. To place an order or request free information, call 877-888-4777. That's 877-888-4777. Also listen to the Inside View on Health every Thursday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, right here on the American Voice Radio Network. The fruits are grown in chaos, distrust, and economic depression. A weary populace can seek peace only from the solutions they offer. They have worked until suicide has become so common that it generally calls forth no legitimate investigation. They have used the courts, the judges, the medical profession, and even the Constitution to further their ends. America now has over one million of its citizens in prison for political crimes. So who are they? And how long have they been at this? Psychopolitical Warfare is a 70-page color cover booklet that describes the strategy and tactics behind psychopolitics. Psychopolitics is only $10 from The American Voice. Go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information. Got to cut the music a little short because we don't have a lot of time, and we do have a caller. So go ahead, caller. You had a comment on uh, the rest of the story. I mentioned Pavlov's experience, uh, experiments with the drooling dogs, but you pointed out that there's. Uh, I left out the ending to that story. So why don't you uh, fill everybody in? Oh yeah, you you left out the other half and the conclusion, and we're getting a lot more of a brain twist than uh, we think we are. He uh, he rang the bell, and he got hungry and drooled. You covered that part. But also part of the training was he would flash a light and just beat the crap out of him. Well, one day, to come to the conclusion, he rang the bell, they got hungry, they drooled, and they stood there in a quivering mass knowing that they had a beating coming at the same time, and it completely petrified them. That was the conclusion of his study. Hey, do you think, you know what, do you think that the uh, police siren and blue and red lights might have the same effect on people? Oh, it's mixed in with uh, we are the protectors and defenders of the people. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, but you know what? I mean, if you were really, okay, you consider yourself one of the people, and uh, you, you figure, okay, the cops are the protectors and defenders of the people. Generally, that's a, that, you know, I would think, okay, that's a guy, that's a good guy. That's a guy on my side, because I'm one of the people, and I want to be protected and defended. Yet, anytime anybody sees a cop behind them with red and blue lights on and their siren goes on, uh, their heart rate goes up, and they're not, they don't get a feeling of relief. Same thing. You were talking about all this stuff uh, being done to the kids in the school. Oh, well, didn't it, didn't it used to be that uh, the schools were for the kids? Now, one Henry 
that's it. You see? And and the thing is, if them dogs would have known what Pavlov was doing to them and why, it wouldn't have worked. This is what I'm trying to point out to people. The only defense is knowledge. You know, your only defense against mind control is to know it's going on. You know, and this sort of mind control. Sure, there's the electronic mind control that, you know, but at least you'll be able to know what happened to you rather than just thinking it was some kind of normal thing. Hey, how are you listening to us? I'm 15725. Is it coming in good or bad? Uh, pretty good. There's a little bit of fading, but it's good. Good, good, good. Great. Well, that's good to hear. And uh, I thank you for your I thanks you for your call. Okay. And uh we'll uh, we we're running out of time, so I'll let you go so I can finish up here. Okay. All righty. Thanks a lot. Bye. All right. Well, there you go, folks. See, it's not so hard. I'm not a bad guy. You call in, I treat you nice. See? Anyway. <laughs> we'll carry on here. And uh, Like I said, you want to find out the consequences of what homosexuals do from a strictly health perspective. Okay? This is not a moral judgment article about them. This has nothing to do with what the Bible says. It is strictly from data collected from the health department, the Census Bureau, so forth and so on. Smokers and drug addicts don't live as long as non-smokers and non-addicts, so we consider smoking and narcotics abuse harmful. The typical lifespan of homosexuals suggests that their activities are more destructive than smoking as and as dangerous as drugs. Okay? I'm not going to go into this. Let's see here. Uh, Median age of death for homosexuals. Uh, well, what the heck is it? The medium age of death for homosexuals is virtually the same nationwide. Overall, less than 2% survived the old age. Okay, if AIDS was the cause of death, the median age was 39. Okay? Now, for queers who died of something other than AIDS, okay, these are not AIDS-related deaths for queers 42 years old. So you figure, well, that's just them and their dirty thing. Uh, lesbians is a different story, right? No. 44 years old for lesbians. Okay? So, folks, you know, this is a culture of death. Not to mention, go look up Leviticus. Go look up Romans one twenty-seven. Okay? Romans, you know, first chapter 27, uh, verse 27. Start there. Read on. You know, this is the thing. Uh, you got the mental health organization. You got the public school system. You got them all promoting a culture of death to your children. Okay? Now, your children don't know what's going on. They're just kids. So you got to tell them, and I suggest you do in a hurry, because things are getting real bad, and the country ain't getting turned around, but maybe you can save your own. So, folks, we'll be back again tomorrow with Dean Warren. You've been listening to The Frank Report on the American Voice Radio Network, and thanks for listening. Don't forget to tune in next time.
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. I'm here with my co-host, Alfred Adams, to bring you our opinion and commentary on today's economic and political events for Tuesday, July 28, 2015. Good afternoon, Al. Hello, Melody. Gold today. Let's go right to the gold market today. We have... Uh, gold currently trading in the aftermarket up a buck. At 109, whoop, I'm just getting a new update right in the middle of my presentation here. Okay, 120. Hey, we gained 20 cents on that little update. <laughs> oh, isn't it great? You know, you have 20 cent moves on a on a item on a commodity that's priced at $1,100. Basically, you get a 20 cent move. Yeah, I mean, tell me the markets aren't rigged. Silver's up 12 cents today at 14.76, with platinum up two bucks at 9.88. Palladium up seven at 623 dollars. Um, USDX today was also stronger, 0.15 at 96.70, and crude oil was up 30 cents at 47.70, and the paper markets were all happy today. Uh, and the paper markets today are showing 
positive, up 189 points for the Dow, up a little over 1% at 17,630. The NASDAQ was also up almost 1%, 49 points at 5,089, along with the S&P up 1.25% at 2,093. 10-year yield, uh, the yield has fallen a little bit, but it was up for the day at 2.25%. The euro was down, of course, with the dollar index being higher. The euro was lower, lower, 0.32 at 111. And uh, Germany was up 1%. London was up almost 1%. So uh, certainly a follow-through in our markets uh, for everything else that is going on in the world. So uh, everybody's just sort of, I guess everybody's on vacation now. I'm not. I'm not either. Well, I don't understand that. I think if everybody else is on vacation, I don't know why. Think we should go? Well, I don't know. It makes sense to me. Okay, see ya. No. I prefer to work. Well, I don't know that I prefer to work, but I do prefer to get paid. (laughs) I prefer to work because it's, uh, we really do live in interesting times. And, uh, you know, it is frustrating as it is, um, certainly, uh, you know, when you know you're on the right side of things and you understand what's going on, it uh, makes it even a little more frustrating. No, not frustrating. It, it, it makes you want to, uh, um, you know, help folks, and it makes you want to uh, make sure that you're protected uh, so, you know, perhaps you can help other people when things go down. And uh, so, you know, again, when, you, when you're buying your dried foods or your soups or whatever you might be, just make sure you get a little extra in there and, uh, you know, perhaps help other people that uh, fail to have the... Grace, because I do believe those that have seized, and I should quit talking before I get myself in trouble, but I do believe those of us no, who see. No, you're already in trouble. <laughs> I believe those of us who see, you know, there's a reason why we do. And uh, I think it's a very important one. So. I agree with you. Here's so. The... Yeah. Go ahead. Well, here's someone, there's something on something to see in any case. There's Business Insider headline, Donald Trump is crushing everyone in New Hampshire. Real estate magnate Donald Trump has opened a two-to-one lead over his closest competition in the key first-to-the-nation primary state of New Hampshire. This is according to a new poll from Monmouth University released today. Trump grabs 24% of the vote compared to 12% for former Florida Governor Jeb Bush. Uh, newcomer in Ohio, Governor John Kasich has already jumped into third place tie with Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, seven percent. Um, that's Trump's got twenty four percent. They each have seven percent. Poll is evidence that the controversy that surrounded Trump last week when he questioned John McCain's military record does not appear to have slowed the Trump steamroller. Uh, So it's just interesting to me. I mean, Trump is going to be, it will be interesting to see if Trump is, winds up being a legitimate candidate, um, or is he something of a skyrocket? Is he going to go up very quickly, which is what he's been doing, make some gross mistake and come, you know, crashing back to earth? Or is he going to stick it out? 
and managed to hold this campaign together until November of next year. What do you think, Melody? Is Trump going to last, or is he uh, just a shooting star? Well, I read some of his comments and so forth throughout the years, what he believed and and so forth, and he really is a mixed bag of you know, comments as far as his past goes on any issue. You know, he, he certainly has flip-flopped more than once on several important issues and so forth. And, and I think that is just Trump. I mean, he's a businessman and, you know, lots of times he, he'll say things. I think in the past I'd have to say that he said things to do whatever was necessary to get whatever he needed. And uh, so I'm not sure if that record will follow him into the, you know, the election and so forth. It'll be interesting to see how the first debate, I think, is scheduled for about three weeks with Fox. Um, That'll be interesting to see uh, how they address him and how they treat him. Um, Fox likes Trump. Yeah. Um, so I think they will, you know, be a little more partial to Trump than if it was a CNN poll or something, you know, or debate or, or you know, CBS or whatever. But uh, so that will be interesting to see. And um, um, I don't think anyone can stop Trump right now. Right. In the sense that I don't think CNN can knock him out. I don't think Fox can do anything for him or against him that's going to get in his way. But I think the only danger to Trump is Trump himself. himself. It's himself. Yeah. Well, and that's my or point. see what he does, and he's the guy who can destroy his campaign. But if he doesn't, if he doesn't make a great and significant error, <clears throat> you know, he's likely to be there when the election rolls around November, you know, a year from now. Yeah, and, you know, I I talked to a lot of people. I just kind of, well, what do you think of what's going on with Trump? And I really do hear a lot of negatives uh, against Trump. They don't like him being the the loudmouth New Yorker and so forth and whatnot. But then again, people are tired of getting the same old thing. We've we've seen what these politicians have and haven't done. Uh, We've seen, I mean, look at the Republicans. Look, Look at the election from last year. Now, look what they've given to this president after they've got elected by using we're going to stop him type yeah. rhetoric and yeah. uh, people are tired of it so uh, almost the media has made trump kind of like the underdog and everybody loves the underdog you know and uh you know certainly financially he's not the underdog but uh, he's not the quote-unquote politician either well that's to his advantage and to mm-hmm. some degree you know a lot of people have very little respect for the mainstream media and insofar as that's true if the mainstream media that people regard with contempt and distrust, if they're against Trump, that works in Trump's favor in a lot of cases. A lot of people are sitting back saying, I don't know what's going on with Trump, but if the mainstream media is against him, he must be okay. So we'll watch and see how it all, but it is certainly, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting drama. It's a fascinating drama. And... It's starting this campaign out. I mean, in previous years, I don't know that I paid much attention to presidential campaigns until at least the year of the election. And here we are, you know, six months before 
five months before we get into uh, 2016, and we're already paying attention to the election. I wouldn't normally start paying attention probably till February, maybe not even then. Um, you know, I'd be aware, but but this is interesting. Trump is, you know, he's added something. This is going to make for an extraordinary election. Well, yeah, he's inter- he's fun to listen to. I mean, he's like a you know, Pat Buchanan. I love listening to Pat Buchanan. Yeah. I, there's just some speakers that have that, uh, you know, that they're, they're not they're not following a script. Yep. And I love it because Trump repeats himself, and it reminds me of me. I have a tendency to repeat myself every now. And then. It's like, yeah, Trump does it, so you know. <laughs> but he does, and so, but he's still interesting to talk to. You kind of wait. There's energy there, and certainly. Um, you know, Buchanan had it, and Reagan had it, and even Ross Perot had it. And uh, um, There's a certain amount of originality there mm-hmm. in the context of our time. I don't know that Trump has said anything that somebody else hasn't said, hmm. but in the context of the politicians that are around right now, all of a sudden Trump is coming up and he's actually saying things the American people want to hear, and he doesn't appear to be doing it just because he's trying to manipulate the audience. You know, a lot of politicians will come up and they'll say what you want to hear, but it's only after they've done studies and surveys and they've said, well, this is what the yokels want to hear. Let's tell them whatever. Let's tell them whatever they want to hear. What do they want to hear this time? I'll say that. What do they want? All right. Trump seems to be saying this stuff because he believes it, and that's what makes him credible, persuasive. But the one topic that he really has only truly addressed is the immigration, really, to any degree. I mean, once in a while he'll mention all these trade agreements are bad, but but to no depth at all to anything. But he just mainly, the issue is the immigration seems to be his um, topic of choice. And people are responding to that. People are responding to that. And the scary thing is I saw... Uh, where Obama thinks that if he ran for a third election, he'd win. <laughs> now, there's evidence of talk about delusion. Oh, I know. Can you imagine? He says he could win a third term. Well, it depends on he who he thinks he's a pretty good president. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where vanity, all is vanity. Oh, I think that's God. in. I don't know, one of the books by, one of the Old Testaments, vanity, all is vanity, and I would say that Obama has at least his fair share of vanity. And it prevents you from seeing the truth sometimes. You look in the mirror and uh, are you seeing the same thing other people see? Your your mind and your your mind inclines you to see maybe not quite what's true. You see what you want to see, and Obama sees what he wants to see. And I don't know, that remark to me is just about scary, however. Of course, his little issue is uh, he hasn't done enough for gun control. You know, that is <laughs> certainly... <laughs> He's done enough for gun manufacturers. I know, did you see that they're up, what, 140%? <laughs> I don't know, but it's... Yeah, I mean, the, you know, if Obama could win... Who would be in favor of him winning? The gun manufacturers say, yes, yes, elect him again. <laughs> Third time for Obama. Who's this? In, the gun manufacturers, you know. They're rich off this guy. 
Yes, he has certainly done a lot for that trade. And uh, the more he, the more he tries to fight it, the but, you know the bigger growth. Looking at I here here speaking of this gun control. Now I got an email here that's kind of a joke email, but regardless, the guy says today I placed my Smith my my Smith and Wesson three fifty seven revolver on the table right next to my front door. I left six cartridges beside it and then left it alone and went about my business. While I was gone, the mailman delivered the mail. A neighbor across the street mowed the yard. A girl walked her dog down the street, and quite a few cars stopped at the stop sign near the front of my house. After about an hour, I checked on the gun. It was still sitting there right where I'd left it. It hadn't moved itself outside. It certainly hadn't killed anyone, even with numerous opportunities. Uh, it had <clears throat> been presented that were available to it. In fact, it hadn't even loaded itself. Well, you can imagine my surprise with all the hype by the administration and media about how dangerous guns are and how guns kill people. Either the media is wrong or I'm in possession of the laziest gun in the world. And he goes on, he says, the United States is third in murders around the world. But if you take out just four cities, Chicago, Detroit, Washington, D.C., and New Orleans, the United States is fourth from the bottom in the entire world for murders. These four cities also have the toughest gun control laws in the United States. All four of these cities are controlled by Democrats. It would be absurd to draw any conclusion from the data, right? Well, I'm off to check on my spoons. I hear they're making people fat. Uh, the point behind this is that gun control kills. That's the real implication. The people of the cities that have the strongest gun control laws also have the highest number of gun murders. And that's because the people packing guns are in their own way cowards. And they're happy to shoot people who are unarmed. But they're not interested in getting out into a situation where they might actually get shot themselves. Now, I've told this story before about a woman I met in church back a year or two ago. She moved. She's lived in New York for a number of years, and then in Chicago. She and her husband. He was an executive. She was, I don't know what she did. I don't recall. But she she pointed out she moved down here to Texas, and she was a liberal. She was a gun control advocate. She didn't want any more guns on the streets. While she was living in New York, and while she was living in Chicago. And she told me that she always knew that when she was driving a car, she drove her car. She never back, She never pulled right up um, to the bumper of the car in front of her at a stoplight or a stop sign. She always gave herself some space where she could maneuver that car if she had to. Somebody tried to break in. She could make that car go left to right. She had a place to go. She never put her purse on the seat next to her on the passenger side because she knew that somebody could bust in a window and grab the purse and so she put it on the on the floorboard on the on the passenger side and covered it with the blanket or whatever so people couldn't see it that was the way she lived in New York and in Chicago and then she moved down here to Texas and she was here for a couple of years and she realized you know I don't have to be worried about people breaking into my car while I'm driving and I don't have to be worried about someone busting through the window on the passenger side and grabbing my purse if I leave it on the passenger seat. 
And she realized why. And the reason was there's lots of guns down here in Texas. Plenty of guns. And everybody knows you better not be busting into somebody's car because you just might get your brains blown out. Right? The thought that the driver may have a gun is plenty of reason for a lot of people to mind beyond their good behavior. Mind their manners. I'm not going to break into that car because the driver might have a gun. (laughs) And the point, the lesson here, contrary to what all the gun control nuts think, is that gun control will get you killed. And the right to keep and bear arms, on the other hand, keeps you alive. And I'm not so sure about countries around the world and some of their larger cities and so forth. I don't think they have the gang um, situation. I mean, certainly, yeah, Mex- they, they, certainly they, Mexico, yeah. certainly Mexico does with their you know drug gangs, gangs and you know drug lords and so forth. But I don't think um, you know when you look at European cities and so forth, I don't think they have uh, our inner city problems uh, that we have. But they will. They're growing. And um, bringing in the Muslims from North Africa coming across and emigrating into Europe, they're going to see trouble, and they're going to wish well, to God they hadn't been as liberal as they have been. I had someone who was telling me that they had watched a documentary in these inner cities, and it's amazing that these inner cities just won't ever be cleaned up because there's just so much corruption, and mm-hmm. they need those inner cities to be what they are in order for this, uh, for the corruption and, you know, to be made. So it isn't the, even the gang members and, and the people that live in those cities that can't get out. It's they're being forced to stay there, forced to continue to live that lifestyle um, only because uh, of uh, all because the... they live that lifestyle. And, and, uh, I mean, it's a very strange... But I mean, thing. it's... We'll a, get it's, into that another time because it's time for us to take our break okay. for commercials, Melody. Got it. You're not paying attention to the clock. You know how that makes Frank... You know how he gets when you don't do that, Melody. We're going to take a break for a couple of commercials, and Melody and I will be back in a moment on Financial Survival. Please stay tuned. financial obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out when life is too much to handle use apothecary herbs emotional stress formula feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee you've waited long enough call apothecary herbs now toll free 866-229-3663 That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the3ws.thepowerherbs.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? 
Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Are you concerned about prescription drug dependency to stay healthy? Are you worried that the cost and availability of your medications may put your health at risk? Perhaps it's time you consider a natural, safe, and effective way to deal with your health problems. If only you knew where to start. Start right here. Tune in to Herb Talk Live with herbalist Wendy Wilson every Tuesday and Thursday evening, 7 p.m. on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, where your health care options just became endless. Hi, folks. I'm Alfred Adisk here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival. Programs are brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver. What's next, Melody? Well, I just wanted to remind folks, remember, if you put an order in with Discount Gold and Silver for Silver Eagles for the month of July, we're, we're in the lag time on the uh, production of Silver Eagles from the U.S. Mint. As of yesterday, they did begin to resell the Silver Eagles. And just to update you on that number, um, at, we're looking at a total number for July now of 5254 and that is with three weeks of no sales. So I can only imagine that that number would have been double um, if sales would have continued uh, out of June and into July as uh, they, they had, um, as is they had been. Is that a monthly record? No, it's not a monthly record, but I would expect, um, depending on how many they add, if they add any more to this week, uh, it would have been. It would have been, but they stopped it from happening by no – I mean, no sales in three weeks. So, yeah, yeah I, I think uh, uh, for what was uh, sold, yeah, that's probably a, a weekly sales record, absolutely. Or or for how many days, seven days, eight days, or, you know, whatever they calculated, whatever it calculates into. So, absolutely, on that basis is the record, but the total number of sold. In January this month, they sold 5.5 million. But we came out of June with 4.8, and uh, then we went into July. We had that uh, big drop in the price of silver, and, of course, uh, you know, that spurred the buying at a time that the, the Mint uh, was not controlling their inventory and um, put them in a position where they uh, didn't have enough. Their inventory ran out. They had to shut down uh, to uh, restock their shelves, so to speak. So uh, demand has been strong uh, for Silver Eagles along with gold. So far this month, there has uh, 161 thousand ounces of uh, gold eagles uh, that were sold, 161,000 gold eagles. And um, so that's uh, a strong the, month. Yeah, I get, and it illustrates 
a fundamental distinction between people who advocate the ownership of gold and silver, as we do, and people who are not particularly interested in the product, except perhaps on the, on the markets. The people that buy the paper gold, the paper silver, on the commodities markets and, well, the commodities markets, they are treating and pricing gold as a mere commodity. And that's what you're getting for price of gold. The price of gold as a commodity is in the neighborhood of $1,100. Right? But the people like myself who advocate the ownership of gold and silver and the people like the people who have purchased all these silver dollars, these, these eagles, silver eagles here in the last month, they don't seek silver or gold as a commodity. They see it as a monetary metal. And it's unfortunate because where do we find a market for monetary metals? Even the Shanghai Gold Exchange is still, in its own way, treating gold as a commodity rather than a monetary metal. And for most of the people that are listening to this program, it's not as if you can see gold or silver as only monetary metals. There's some monetary and there's some commodity, but there's question of balance here. The markets determine the value of gold and silver as a commodity. But when you see the sales we're talking about, they indicate growing interest in gold and silver, silver in this particular case, as a monetary metal. Two entirely different things. And the reason most of us advocate, if gold's only a commodity, it's not that big a deal. Gold is significant because it has been a monetary metal for several thousand years. And it's not likely to stop anytime soon. It's been a monetary metal in this country up until 1971. Clearly a monetary metal, and they continue to hold it at the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Treasury. They continue to hold it as a monetary metal. They don't release it to the public, per se. They don't encourage us to think of it as a monetary metal. But in the public eye, since 1971, when Nixon closed the gold window and stopped redeeming foreign-held dollars in gold, we'd already had... Gold had already been removed from the domestic market around 33, 1933, and silver would have been removed by 1968. And 1971, that was the last trace of a monetary metal application for gold relative to our money system that disappeared. Since 71, what, 44 years, I think? Mm -hmm. right. um, we have had gold and silver have been pretty much they've been primarily a commodity in our markets. But the reason people invest in it is because they sit back and say, no, wait a second. This fiat monetary system, the fractional reserve banking system, these are flawed concepts which inevitably lead to some sort of a, a collapse. Anybody who looks around understands that the fiat monetary system, fiat money has been tried a couple hundred times, according to some surveys. I think someone said it had been tried something like 270 times in, Amer in world history, not American history, world history, and it always blows up. You know, so we're sitting in there wondering, when will the fiat dollar blow up? Because when it does, odds are people are going to say, uh oh, 
we can need to get that we've got to get some old time financial religion and that means we're going back to a system that's based on monetary gold monetary silver and at that point in time in theory we are going to see significant increases in the purchasing power of gold and silver but the money the profit the value in gold and silver is primarily in this notion of when does it regain its status as a monetary metal if it's if the sale of silver in at the US mint during the last month is any indication that time may be growing closer but there's the deal some of us believe in gold as a commodity some of us believe in gold as a monetary metal and that's the fundamental difference between people on this program people who listen to this program see it as a monetary metal maybe not so much now but as destined to regain that status while you know the balance of the investors think but, of gold as a commodity but and you're right but regardless of how an investor might view it regardless it's still a monetary metal and it always will be and it's been accepted worldwide that hasn't changed and i don't think that is a, will ever change it's just it behooves them to view gold that way because it doesn't go along with their little program of uh, promoting you know the, these world stock markets and getting and stealing people's money yeah. by encouraging them to get into these casinos and uh, to where people work so hard for their money and they fail to realize that um, they're just a breath away from losing a large part of yep. the money that they work so hard for. Gold has no claim of debt against it. Uh, it's got no nationality. It's a true store of value. And uh, people need to understand that. And, you know, I think what I've heard most, Al, from a lot of my clients and the people that I talk to is uh, they always focus on various events. And we're going to have Rob West. He's joining us on Friday uh, to talk about some of these upcoming events and their possibilities that can happen and, you know, can change the dynamics of, of any investment that you're holding. And certainly, of course, gold. And we're going to talk about that uh, throughout this week and Friday. And, I mean, that's what this program is about. But lots of times people have a tendency to focus strictly on events. And this is why I need gold and silver because of this event, because this is going to happen. And they lose sight of the true fundamentals. And I don't want to belabor this for the, the whole segment of the program, but it is important. And particularly when we see the pressure that they have applied on gold and silver to bring out those fundamentals of why you initially bought gold and silver, uh, not just because of one event that will happen, eventually we just don't know when it will happen but you're there purchasing you're protecting your purchasing power and not just against inflation not just against deflation not just against the revaluation uh, it's a combination of everything of all the geopolitical upsets and and all the world drama that we face here in the very new near future and uh, certainly uh, you know it, it's um we can't lose sight of these things as we're preparing and protecting our purchasing power. It is easy to listen to a lot of these other analysts that are involved in paper and, uh, um, you know, they, they, they try to talk you out of it and so forth and, and oh, gold is bad and so forth. But yet stick to those fundamentals and uh, you will be all right. You will be okay, and you will be able to uh, get into these other investments at the proper time. And that 
is what will build your wealth and grow your investments also. So I just want to bring this up, Al. And then we can move on to some of the other articles that we have. Um, I want to talk about, um, you have something here on the Trans-Pacific Trade. Mm -hmm. But there was a report out today that apartment rents are up, um, restaurant meals, haircuts, um, things that consumers, American consumers, have been accustomed here in the past couple of years to staying pretty well flat or maybe even even falling in prices for the past couple of years uh, seem to be ticking up. Now, that's not going to take away any arguments and discussions of deflation, inflation, but it does seem like the, the Fed is getting their uh, little inflation upticks that they're looking for and it's still modest and this is just a simple little sign uh, to see how uh, prices are beginning to move up but yet we've seen these huge uh, increases in in eggs and beef and and, uh, some of the staples uh, of our lives and needs that we need we you know those prices just seem to uh, continue but what was interesting about this whole report Al was they actually keep track of haircuts. <laughs> and it's like, really? That is the main staple of our economy is haircuts? I mean, is that what they're judging? What a great economy ha- economy we have? No, they're just is, conditioning is... people to accept the idea that haircuts can cost you more. And, uh, for example, they talk routinely about Greece. Creditors over there are going to have to take a haircut. Well, I'm being. You know, no, I'm not being, and I'm being serious. Sense, you know, and I'm being I know, yeah, serious. I, I get that. You know, and, and but uh, the, the thing of it is, they price haircuts jumped 1.6 percent, and this is a, uh, this is a, but they've been keeping track of this for 62 years. Isn't that really? Strange? You know what's really strange <laughs> about that? They can tell you how much haircuts have gone up. I know. 1.6%. I know. Will somebody tell me what the real <laughs> unemployment rate is? I know. Or the real inflation rate? Will somebody tell me? Oh, I don't. Mm, well, we've got, we have consensus of opinions. We have a bunch of stuff. They know how much haircuts are hey. going up or down, but they don't, they can't. What about the GDP it. that gets to be revised three times before oh, they I come know. up with the, I mean, yeah. And so, so I, anyway, that's the part that I wanted to bring in. I thought that was interesting that that played because it is part of a service and people are willing, I guess, to pay the extra dollars uh, to get the extra services that the salons uh, offer folks and and so forth. But, uh, you know, it really is a sad day when you have to pay $30. And and there's salons all over the country that charge more than $30 for a shampoo. (laughs) I remember when I first moved to Dallas back in 1983, I needed a haircut. And I stopped in someplace to get a haircut. I don't remember where. And I had short hair. You understand? It's not a chore to give somebody a haircut that's short hair. It's not like you have to, you know, uh, don't need a permanent, don't need a just a bunch, just, just, just basically a crew cut. You understand? Got in there and they billed me something like $30 for the haircut. I had no idea. I just walked into it. Well, I paid it. But it still sat in my mind. I expected a you know, an eight dollar haircut, you know, maybe five. I didn't know. Um, that would be the price I was. I'd, be, I'd come up here from El Paso. I was used to prices in El Paso, which are third world prices, and uh, got my haircut for thirty dollars. And I was trying to calculate. Let me think how many hairs are there, and how much is that per hair? And I never did figure that out. But. Uh, 
Yes. But there, were, there were some areas in this report where it says the clothing, furniture, and a lot of your appliances, they are cheaper than the than what they were a year ago, basically because of the uh, uh, global competition um, jobs that we have sent out of this country. Aren't you glad that your products are lower now because we were able to offshore all those jobs, export yep, all those products jobs? Products are lower. Products yeah, are lower isn't that so great? Wages and so, wages. Is the, yep. so is employment. But those of us who have jobs, we can get things for, for cheap. You know, and everybody wants to do it. It's very difficult. You have an opportunity to buy sure. something that's made in China that costs uh, $10 less than the same item or very similar item that's made in the United States or someplace else. What are you going to do? You're going to take the cheaper item. It is human nature to do that, but it is unfortunate. It's short-sighted because you really do need to buy American because you want the guy across the street to, he needs to be making money. And if he's not making any money, ultimately neither will you or I. Um, you guys, you can't we've take also... the cheapest deal. The cheapest deal is not necessarily the best deal that you can get. And also, usually when that price is lower, so is the quality. Not always, no, most of the time. Some, most of the time, the wonderful quality. wonderful deals that are cheap. I mean, they... I, Hand tools, for example, just you can get some spectacular Yeah, you used to be able to buy a that are dirt cheap. Paid 120 bucks for some of these things back 15, 20 years ago. You can buy them for 20 dollars today. That's an extraordinary deal. Uh, some of this, you know, it's hard to argue with on one level, but you can't. But I'll guarantee you, when Americans you, out of guarantee work. you, when you paid 120 dollars, that item lasted your whole life. You never well, had to replace it. it. Now you buy children. Now you buy twenty dollar a you know. Tool. No, no. Guess what? You're replacing it in five years Maybe or so. less. Yeah. And we're going to be replacing you and I if we don't go to break here in I a think minute. So. <laughs> I blame Frank. Frank again. We're going to have to talk to Frank about doing a better job of controlling the time. We're going to talk about the TPP when we get back. All right. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom. We'll be back in a moment. Please stay tuned. the aspirin mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the www.thepowerherbs.com. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, 
Invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver. Do we want to get started on this Absolutely. specific uh, partnership? It's just a small article from Reuters. It says deflation threat returns. Whoops, <laughs> excuse me. Get on the ball, Al. <laughs> what has happened to me? I have lost. I have lost control here. There we go. Got the wrong article in front of me. Issues mount as negotiators gather to wrap up Trans-Pacific Trade Pact. This is from the New York Times. The top negotiators of the United States and 11 other Pacific nations are gathering this week at a luxury resort in Maui. Name is Obama's new home he purchased over there. (laughs) Maybe so. For one last push to complete the largest regional trade accord in history, roping together 40% of the world's economic output. But even though it's billed as the final round of Trans-Pacific Partnership negotiations, trade representatives from the United States, Japan, and Pacific nations from Canada, Chile, to Australia and Vietnam have high hurdles to clear. (gasps) It's not a done deal just yet, Melody. They have high hurdles. And remember that song about high hurdles? We've got high hurdles. Maybe not. Anyway, Australia and New Zealand are resisting American rules on access for pharmaceutical companies to national health systems. Vietnam, Mexico, and Brunei have, to go, have far to go to comply with the international standards on labor organizing. Canada is so reluctant to open its agricultural market to competition that it might drop out of the talks altogether. And just last Monday, the State Department's decision to upgrade its ratings of Malaysian efforts to combat human trafficking caused an uproar among labor and human rights activists who accused the administration of a political maneuver to ease Malaysia's inclusion in the Pacific Accord and the Pacific Accord uh, at the expense of wage and <laughs> sex slaves. Well, what we're talking about? We are we are pathetic anymore, aren't we? I don't know. It's one of these things where. It's all about the money. Nobody cares about wage and sex slaves. It's a question of profits and losses. And Canada, for example, they may drop out of the whole thing. Well, why? Because it's the morally correct thing to do or because it's going to cause some sort of a loss to Canadian agricultural products. You know, people, we think... They're just not getting enough for it, Al. That's what it is. 
I don't they're know. not getting their little share of what they want in order to open its its, its markets. That's what it's about. Go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's just one of those one of the things that interests me about this is that the Trans-Pacific Treaty has up until now been cloaked in secrecy. What is it? What's it going to do? We've heard a lot of different conspiracy theories about how it's going to impact our rights and our freedoms in this country and whether it's going to allow more illegal aliens or now legal aliens to just enter this country. All right, there's a lot of concerns here that are legitimate, and we have been much concerned that the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement has been hidden from us. They aren't going to let us know. It's like, again, Nancy Pelosi got to vote for it before you can find out what's in it. Speaking of Obamacare, well, here we have the Trans-Pacific Partnership. We got to vote for it before we can really find out what's in it, or at least the people find out what's in it. Um, And it's been viewed from that perspective as fundamentally some sort of a conspiracy against our rights and our sovereignty as a nation. Many people have looked at it from that perspective, but what they're looking at here and what they are bringing out is that there are so many interests, competing interests involved in this, that it's hard to get everybody on board. They go on with the article and it says American manufacturers are are issuing demands. Unions remain implacably opposed. And nearly a dozen pro-trade Democrats in the House are threatening to withdraw their support from the Trans-Pacific Partnership if the Obama administration offers too many concessions to pharmaceutical giants. Well, a lot of different special interests. They're trying to put all of this together. And I have to admit, this is not to say that I favor the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I don't. But I have to admit, they are. I can understand the secrecy from the perspective of all of the competing interests, interests that are here. If they let the cat out of the bag and expose this to the public, they'd have the unions screaming and businesses be screaming and Canada scream and everybody would start screaming. Now, is this a good thing on balance? I don't believe it is. And I know a lot of people say, yeah, it's good for, we'll make more money. We're going to have cheaper goods and, you know, whatever. Well, we get cheaper goods out of Walmart, but we also get higher levels of unemployment. I doubt that this is going to be good for the United States. It may be good for some special interests like pharmaceuticals. I don't see how this is going to serve the American people. You know, the average American, how is he going to, how will his life be improved by the Trans-Pacific Trade Pact? It will be tantamount to opening up to sending more American industries overseas. That's what it comes down to. In the final analysis, it, it has to be what's the cost of labor and these other 11 Pacific nations as compared to the cost of labor in the United States. And inevitably, these, how, many, how many of these 11 uh, Pacific nations have higher labor costs than we have here in the United States? Maybe Japan. I'm not sure what Japan's relationship is with the Trans-Pacific Partnership. But other than that, I doubt that you can find most of those countries are going to have high or lower costs of labor, which means American labor is going to have to compete with Asian labor, which means Asian labor's price of labor in Asia will go up 
not dramatically, but it'll go, go, go up. That's good for them. And it has to come down, which is in the United States, which is bad for us. I think this is a backdoor to, to more open. I think this is a backdoor to more open immigration because you're right. And I think there's really, you know, all, all those old low wage countries will just be swarming over here. And I mean, it is, you know, we can't even imagine what's all in this thing. But I think one of the most disgusting things in this thing is all the, the Democrats uh, are threatening to withdraw because there's too many concessions to pharmaceutical giants. Really? I mean, how can... I mean, don't they already get these concessions? I mean, what more can they give these these pharmaceutical companies? Um, you know, well, I mean, the U.S. already pays for the world. Congress. There's the question. How much more can the pharmaceutical companies Jeez. give to congressmen and senators to bribe them to pass these bills? When they say a dozen pro-trade Democrats are threatening to withdraw their support, what, the, what we've got is a dozen pro-trade Democrats that are looking for a fatter cut of the pie. What do you got for me? How much can you bribe me? I mean, we know. already pay for the world's prescriptions of the pharmaceuticals, and you know we pay for everything. You know they pay pennies on the dollar for their medicines, and we pay thousands of pennies on the dollar for 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 the medicines. I mean it's it's just disgusting. They all need to be thrown out, replaced, and uh, I think again here's just another sign that things uh, there isn't anything that's going to turn this stuff around. And um, hopefully this deal doesn't get done, or it'll just get done with some kind. Oh, it'll get done. Then. They they're hoping to get it done this this the end of this week. I don't know that that's going to happen, but they will keep on. You know, they'll they'll keep pushing on this thing. I'm going to be much surprised if this doesn't go through. But so let's go on to let's just change topics here, something about this artificial intelligence and um, about the uh, Stephen Hawking and and, uh, the the Apple co-founder, their warning. And they put out these warnings before about artificial intelligence that basically, you know, the AI is really, uh, you know, the beginning of something to be concerned about. Yeah, I agree. Um, but most of us see the the, uh, the artificial intelligence as something that will run the computers, and it already does, in in Wall Street. And they are buying and selling products in a fraction of a second. And they're just, they buy it and sell it, and it happens so quickly that they make a, a tiny percent of a penny on a particular trade, but they do these trades so fast and do one, then another, then another, then another, then another, and these things are happening so fast that the the fraction of a cent adds up to where they make a good profit off of these things. We see evidence, this artificial intelligence beginning to intrude into our lives in ways that get us talking, but this article that scientists worry about arms race and artificial intelligence Again, Stephen Hawkins is warning, Apple co-founder Steve Warren at Wisniak, what they're talking about is the threat of a global arms race with weapons using artificial intelligence. That's what they're worried about. In an open letter with hundreds of signatories, the experts argued that if any military major military power pushes ahead with the development of autonomous 
weapons. This would be weapons that we can set out on the street corner and they will essentially think for themselves and shoot whoever they're programmed to shoot without having somebody there to pull the trigger. All right? That's what we're talking about. Or weapons using artificial intelligence. They're calling them autonomous weapons, meaning there doesn't have to be anybody there to provide any support. <clears throat> They're concerned that a global arms race is virtually inevitable. And the end point of this technological trajectory is obvious. Autonomous weapons will become the Kalishnikovs of tomorrow. They are concerned that these things will be so cheap, and they will be. Yeah. They're killer robots is what we're talking about. And they can, in theory, put one at the corner of everybody's street. You come out on the sidewalk, you're going to be in the gun sights. And there won't be anybody there to aim the, the weapon. You walk out and the weapon will pick up your presence with whatever scanners it has. And it will make a decision as to whether you should or should not be shot. And there won't be any, there won't be a, a, a rifleman there. There won't be an someone from the army, the police, whatever. They'll just have these weapons, not just here in the United States, around the world. And then these weapons, given that they're functioning without a human being, without a man or woman, to actually pull the trigger and think, now, wait a second, do I want to shoot that guy or not? All right? None of that's going to be there. They're going to make their own decisions. Um, what is the probability that a weapon that runs on software can be hijacked and hacked? And somebody else can put their software in there, and we can change the software around where instead of shooting the bad guys, they can change it around to shoot the good guys. Computers don't know. They don't care. They're just function of programs. So their concern is that we are going to see one of these. We're going to see an arms race for autonomous weapons in the near future. And it all reminds me of a book published by Robert Ardrey called The, Gen the uh, African Genesis back in the 1960s. It was an, I liked it. It was an important book in my understanding of the world. <clears throat> he was... He, Artery was an evolutionist, he was an anthropologist, and he believed, he believed in the theory of evolution. And at the time, evolutionists distinguished man from other animals by saying, we are the tool-using animal. At the time, they thought we were the only ones who used tools. Turns out that's not exactly true, but it's predominantly true. But what Artery argued at the time, he said, we're not the tool-using animal. We are the weapon using animal and he argued and with certain amount of persuasiveness that weapons have been the center of technological advancement they've been the primary impetus behind technological advancement around the globe we have automobiles but they came from weapons all right we have a bunch of interesting things but they started out in the military he argued that weapons were the center the central cause of technological advancement in the world, not just in the United States, but in the world. And I think he made an interesting argument. I think there's a good case to be made that he may have been correct. And if he was, then we will inevitably see these computer-driven weapons. Now, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? It's a strange thing. We may have computer weapons set up in my home. Right? Go ahead, break through the window. I don't need a dog. I don't need something to alert what's going on. I don't need to look for the gun and the, and the dresser drawer next to my bed. I got automatic weapons that'll plug anybody who comes through the door. Is that a good thing, bad thing? 
We shall see, but it will be part of our interesting future. Our interesting future is over for today because we're out of time. So Melody and I will bid you a fond adieu. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, and Frank, the producer. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All night I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad? And still there never seems to be a single penny left for me. That's too bad. In my dreams, I have a plan. If I got me a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work at all. I'd fool around and have a fall. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Can your family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, and dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the Freeze Dry Guy today at Freeze Dry Guy at Lancet.com. That's Freeze Dry Guy at L-A-N-S-E-T.com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Voice Radio. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one four. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click the satellite system. 
makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Soldiers worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. Fighting soldiers from the sky Fearless men who jump and die Men who mean just what they say The brave men of the Green Beret Silver wings upon their chest These are men America's best 100 men will test today But only three win the Green Beret Trained to live off nature's land Trained in combat hand to hand Men who fight by night and day everybody. Wow, welcome. And uh, I apologize, missing uh, yesterday's program. I didn't realize until yesterday morning that the VA was summoning me. And um, when I got up there, they said they had been going through some uh, recent records. Every now and then I have to stop by and give blood and they test the blood he said, my uh, heart rate is too slow. Gosh, I always thought the problem is your heart rate being too fast. And, uh, you know, I was always uh, kind of pleased that as a marathon runner, you know, they say that your heart gets big, uh, but it doesn't get muscular so that it actually pumps more blood and uh, that... Uh, Basically, your heart's not stressed. Well, it's been uh, more than a few years since I ran uh, 26.3 miles in a marathon. But uh, there was at one time a promise uh, by a one of the nation's leading uh, or cardiologist, a heart doctor. He was out in Southern California. As a matter of fact, uh, I was uh, assigned to him to monitor, uh, and he was kind of like I was going to be the $6 million man. As uh, we trained up and as we got closer, 
to the prisoner of war liberation moment with intelligence and uh, with our personnel, our equipment. Uh, he had been uh, for about two years while I worked undercover there at the Hughes Aircraft Company on El Segundo. He had been measuring every conceivable thing from he'd put me on the treadmill and uh, he was very unhappy with my triglycerides at being uh, 465, which I understand is about uh, 4,000 times what they're supposed to be or something. But uh, he is the one who said, I want you rather than martial art or uh, conventional exercise, I want you to use the marathon as a training tool to prepare for this mission. And uh, he set me up initially uh, with a running schedule that means eight miles a day average. And then on the weekend, I would actually uh, stretch that to 20 miles from where my house was to Redondo Beach was 10 miles down the bike path. And I can tell you on the weekends, it was a delight. This must be the picture that Muhammad uh, had in mind when he sketched out that part in the Quran about if you die in uh, the jihad, you instantly go to heaven. Because uh, for uh, 10 miles, you run through the scantily clad, young, uh, tan, uh, light-haired California girls all laughing and playing volleyball. The ocean uh, comes in and the foam rolls up. I mean, it is fantastic. So you can get a lot more miles uh, that way. And at night I would run, and it was really neat along the bike path because there wasn't anybody else on the bike path. My son would uh, ride his bicycle uh, with me, and uh, the moon would be out on occasion, and that foam, you hear that that hissing sound as the foam uh, is brought in uh, by the waves and then back out. And uh, it is delightful, except uh, that my lungs always ached, and that was from the smog. And except to the east, you knew there were millions of people. Matter of fact, one-sixth of America's population lives in basically the San Joaquin, the, the valley area from Van Nuys, uh, Los Angeles, uh, down uh, through Disneyland uh, to San Diego. Uh, it's a beautiful area, but it is jam-packed. Now, uh, what I, and I, as I was mentioning, it was wonderful. And if I could uh, give you a challenge, if you are, because uh, I was uh, more than 40, uh, when I uh, started uh, this training. And uh, I can guarantee you that the marathon is the best training tool. And if I were training right now for rescue of U.S. printers of war, 
uh, anyone on my team would be out there pounding uh, that pavement with eight miles a day average, and we would be running the 26.3-mile marathon. Uh, it means you can do uh, just an uncountable number of setups once you get yourself uh, your thighs are hard and uh, your breath is controlled. And this heart thing that the VA was telling me, I was always kind of glad, but they said uh, my heart rate was in the 50s, and they said, Bo, that's uh, much too slow. Well, okay. <laughs> so uh, anyway, they uh, brought me to the VA uh, for more than that. And I won't waste your time with it, but uh, I will uh, say that Obama is a liar. And I am, I feel weird saying that the President of the United States voted there. He actually got more popular votes, not just electoral votes. Uh, like, you know, <laughs> when you look at it, Al Gore beat Minnie Bush. Al Gore had more popular vote than many me. But we choose the president. It's the only office that we do this with by electoral votes. It was thought long time ago when all of this system was made up that farmers and the townspeople and construction workers and the non-elite of uh, the Joe Six-Packs, even though they didn't have television uh, back in those days, not even radio. Nevertheless, they thought that uh, this large uh, slice of America wouldn't know enough about politics and about individuals and about issues to choose wisely to elect a president. And so what uh, we, the people, were expected to do is choose out of uh, our population a number of electors that we thought were smart enough uh, to, uh, to understand all these issues. And now, uh, and let me try to explain something that they don't teach in high school anymore. Uh, in Nevada, let's say, uh, for example, uh, we uh, have uh, two senators and we have now three representatives. Well, uh, that means that every uh, presidential candidate must have in each state the presidential candidate's party must have already, and in like California, where they have like 54 representatives, then uh, you can see if you're going to run for president under the American Independent Party, you got to have 54 people named and registered. They are your electors. And, for example, in California, if you come out one vote ahead 
of all the rest of the pack, the independents, the Greens, the American uh, Socialist Party, the Republicrats, the Democrats, you come out the winner, popular vote in California, then all of your electors, they don't divide it up like, well, you only won by one vote, so the Democrats, let's say, came in next, uh, they get uh, half of the electors. That's not it. If you win that state's popular vote, all of those electors go to you. And it actually is the number of electoral votes that a president gets. And it is possible, and it happened with Al Gore. He got more popular votes in the United States than a mini-me Bush. But mini-me, he won Florida. Remember that big fight they were having? Uh, You know, in Florida, whether you know it or not, is... Uh, a very key state. It is a mafia state. I know, I know. Uh, but uh, if you go back and look at Kennedy and you look at uh, at Tricky Dick, it was the mafioso that really turned uh, the presidency because Tricky Dick had Chicago mafia Kennedy had Florida Mafia. Kennedy won. And uh, so in the end, the Supreme Court uh, ends up awarding Florida with all of its electoral votes uh, to many me. And so he beat Al Gore, even though Al had more uh, popular votes. Now, one thing I want to bring out uh, is I talked about Robert D. Stewart. He was the maker, I mean the creator. He handmade, uh, like you'd see something with Iron Man. Robert Stewart was a genius when it came to whatever he saw in his mind, he could do with his hands and his brain. He gave me a picture of P-51 Mustangs in formation. Now, that was a painting. It's large. It's about uh, three by four feet. And it looks exactly like a photograph. It is perfect in every detail. And that's the way that Robert made this 50 caliber named the Made Griffith. The Made Griffith means the chosen one uh, in Arabic. And so... Uh, I told Robert, because he was selling it, uh, for probably one-third of what uh, anybody who was a retailer looking to make money would sell uh, a weapon of such quality. It fired 50 caliber heavy machine gun ammunition. And uh, this goes back uh, a number of years, because i at that time, was on another uh, radio uh, network out of Boston that had uh, over a hundred stations, and Robert uh, was advertising over my stations. And I didn't believe that uh, since he was only selling the gun for a thousand dollars, it didn't have any serial numbers on it. 
There wasn't any uh, registration required. He would send you the, the kit, and then you put it together, which was really very simple. And I, so I went to Mesa. I flew my plane to Mesa, Arizona. I stopped in there. I was going to surprise him. I was surprised. That Monte Griffith is probably the best piece of uh, firearms that I have ever seen. I mean, it was put together uh, with the finest. He got his barrels from Germany, stainless steel. He took his uh, technical measurements for the barrel and the twists uh, from the Israelis because they have done more than anybody else in, de in determining how many uh, twists you actually have in the lands and grooves of the barrel to give you the best accuracy. And uh, he, I, he explained to me, once I saw the, the quality of everything in this gun, uh, I told him, I said, Robert, the BATF is never going to allow you to do this. They are coming for you. You need to be ready. And he said, you don't have to have a serial number. You don't have to register it. It's all the Second Amendment. So Robert uh, was a Mormon man. He was preaching the Second Amendment. Well, a week after I stopped in on him, uh, here they came. They uh, raided his house. They confiscated all of his Monte Griffiths. And I told people on the radio, I said, if you are going to order a Monte Griffith, I said, I have personally gone to Mesa. I have looked at it. I am speechless. It is the finest firearm that I have ever seen. It is machined with extreme precision with the finest parts collected from around the world. And I said, if you're going to get one, you better order it now because uh, you know, it's not going to last. One guy even called me and said, Bo, I will pay you if you will go back, fly back to Mesa and pick up a Monte Griffith for me. And I had a good relationship, just like I hope I do uh, with you. I know I have an excellent relationship with many of you because you listen to me and you help me out. When I said the other day I couldn't find a thing about uh, Robert Stewart, you sent me, because you guys are better at uh, electronic and, and investigating than I am in many of these situations. But the I, what I did is I went back, and the day before the raid, I actually picked up two Monte Griffiths that people had called and said, please, 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 Bo, go get it. We don't want to. And I said, just call Robert and uh, tell him you got the money in the mail and tell him to send them out UPS. And they said, we don't want to trust uh, the mail. We don't want to trust nothing. Please go. So I, I actually, I said, okay, okay. So they were going to send the money to me, and I flew down there, and I got two Monte Griffiths. Those were the last <laughs> Monte Griffiths that were distributed. And I sent them off to these people that had ordered them. I said, you know, 
you did the right thing. Well, Robert uh, came to me uh, during the trial. He represented himself. And his whole point was there was no interstate commerce in my uh, building of these Monte Griffiths. And these were kit gun. And so you didn't have to register them and all of that. They required uh, the recipient to actually make uh, the final assembly. And uh, the judge wasn't buying it. And uh, so Robert uh, had lunch with me, and he said, Bo, I don't know a thing about uh, secret, covert, ops. I don't know any tradecraft. I I don't even understand uh, half the time what you're saying when you're talking about uh, what you do in special forces. He said, but if I lose this, I cannot go to prison. I have three little sons, as you know. And he said, I have uh, a wife who is, is, uh, we're in love with each other. She's totally dependent upon me. Uh, You know, my income takes care of us. I had a beautiful home in Mesa. And he said, uh, if, can you tell me a way? Can you give me a new name? Uh, can you help me? And, you know, my heart was touched uh, because this guy really had broken no law, not the spirit of the law of the Constitution uh, or any other law as far as I could see. And I told him, I said, uh, Robert, I will help you. I said, but you have... Uh, You've got to get real serious about it. And you have to let me know if you need help uh, before the verdict comes in because they're going to, as soon as that verdict comes in, they put the handcuffs on you and they lead you away, and that's the last daylight you see. Well, uh, we had lunch again the day before the verdict came in. And he said, I, uh, he was a Mormon, as I've said. So he had visions and stuff like this. He said, I have had a vision, and God has told me that I'm going to be acquitted. Well, you know, he was right, uh, but wrong. I had watched every day of his trial. I would testified for him. I told him, I said, Robert, uh, I understand what you say that God has given you a message that you're going to be acquitted, but I'll tell you something. The jury is going to vote you guilty. You are going to be found guilty. You did not do uh, a good job, you know, just as a a neophyte, and you've got all this huge professional army of lawyers. I mean, this was the U.S. attorney for uh, Arizona, and they, uh, they didn't spare any money in prosecuting Robert. And they were prosecuting him actually for five machine guns that they found uh, when they searched his property to uh, take away the Monte Griffiths. He had made five machine guns from scratch. And uh, so uh, he said, I won't need your help. Oh, I'm going to walk out of the courtroom a free man well the next day the jury found him guilty wham that was it uh, i asked the judge i said your honor uh that till sentencing 
he had a couple of weeks. I said, I'll bring my motor home up here. I'll park it in front of Robert's house. I'll guarantee you that Robert Stewart will be here for sentencing. Please let him have the time to get his affairs in order. Let him have time with these three little sons. Oh, they were tiny. You know, one was just above being a toddler. The other one was like a year older. The other one was like five. They just, all three of them would just hang on his leg and just hug him just like little cubs and why a mother bear can be so ferocious in defending her little ones. I mean, these little boys adored their dad. And the judge said no. So they locked him up. And uh, he was sentenced uh, to uh, something like five years. Well, while he was in uh, Arpaio's uh, jail down there in Maricopa County, he uh, bargained with his cellmate to have the cellmate's brother, who was a, a hoodlum and was there in Phoenix and not incarcerated, uh, to kill the judge and uh, the U.S. attorney, and that Robert would give $50,000 to the inmate, uh, which could give it to his brother, and five machine guns. Robert had five more apparently hid somewhere. And this guy uh, taped it all. The FBI uh, wired him. They gave it to the warden. They let the cellmate out, and they put Robert in prison. And I'm going to read you this because here's what you found out that I couldn't. Robert D. Stewart, age 72, white male, November 2003, sentenced to 24 years in federal prison. Now at the Federal Correction Institute, Beaumont, that's in Texas, Beaumont Low, that means a, a lower security than the high security, Beaumont Low, Beaumont, Texas, prisoner number 04650-081. I'd say it to you again in case you want to write him, 04650 081. Release date, August 27, 2027, per Bureau of Prisons. So Robert will die in prison. Uh, he'd be 88 by the time uh, he got out, and I dare say that the prison food is that good. We're going to take a little bit of a break. We just have an enormous amount of important news for you. Make sure you have something to write with, and I'll be right back just as soon as American Voice has had its say.
and your family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer, sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, and dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the Freeze Dry Guy today at freezedryguy at landset.com. That's freezedryguy at l-a-n-s-e-t.com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Boys Radio. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one four. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Soldiers worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices.
with uh, American Voice Radio. And I want to uh, uh, cover just a little bit about uh, this uh, terrorism that happened over in the, all places Denmark. I've got friends uh, right now uh, assigned as missionaries in Denmark. And uh, one of them is assigned because I uh, suspect, I haven't looked geographically, but uh, he is uh, assigned to a, a small island area. And the people there are uh, have a great a historic past. They should be very proud of who they are. Uh, I know the Finlanders uh, seem to be uh, more of a warring people. Uh, now you know, we're talking about Nordic people. They have made this Anders, first name A-N-D-E-R-S, uh, Breivik, B-R-E-I-V-I-K, uh, he is a Norwegian. They've made him out to be a, a uh, extremist, a right-wing Christian. And, of course, uh, he's none of it. It was like Tim McVeigh. They made him out to be uh, you know, part of the unorganized militia, the militia movement. And Tim McVeigh... Uh, Never had anything to do with the militia movement, and so it and it wasn't uh, Aryan nations or the white uh, Aryan resistance, uh, this kind of thing that blew up the Oklahoma City uh, building. That was Tim McVeigh and uh, his own, you know, weird thinkings, and he had uh, help, you know, from his army friend. Well, this guy, Anders, may have had some help, but if he, he says he did, and I think he is making it up to make it look like that he had more influence uh, with others than he did. Uh, most people uh, would not just uh, look at you and walk away or tell you no. If you explained how you were going to kill uh, gross numbers of children, uh, they would attack you. You tell me that you're not walking out of the room under your own power. I'm going to do everything I can to uh, overcome you. I'm going to call 911, and uh, I'm, it's not going to go easy. They may not do anything to you because uh, they might put me in jail or, uh, you know, attempted murder or something. But uh, people, normal people, and I'm saying that the people, the, the people from the north, the Nordic uh, people, that includes everybody from like Iceland and Sweden and Denmark and Finland, these uh, are good people, basically. They have a way of sort of uh, staying to themselves, and uh, their culture has been uh, maintained, but it's been actually threatened and invaded. Uh, when you look at Oslo, not a lot of people go to Oslo as 
uh, something that you do for summer vacation or uh, for spring break, you know, for the elevation of the intellect of your children. Uh, but important things happen in places like uh, Oslo and Sarajevo and uh, places like that. Anyway, the Finlanders, I just thought I would mention uh, the, the Finns hated the Russians and uh, a man who turned out to be a special forces operator and was uh, a legend was uh, Larry Torney, who was from Finland, and uh, he was a captain in the Finnish army, and uh, they fought the Russians as hard as they could, but he found that uh, the, the Russians easily uh, overran his country, and so Larry Torney joined the SS. Now, the uh, when you hear it said, and I, every time you hear SS, the Schutzstaffel, this started out being Hitler's personal bodyguard. It means in German, the shooting staff uh, means a, a staff of people uh, like Obama has working in the White House, the administration, but they're all armed uh, with weapons and trained uh, to use them. And as the and you had to meet a very strict. Uh, Aryan background checks in order to be uh, in Hitler's SS. But as the war moved on and Hitler was attacking on at least two major fronts, Russia and, of course, uh, Europe, then he had to help out Mussolini in North Africa, and then he turned it over uh, to Mussolini when it looked like that they had, Rommel had basically won a victory over Montgomery. And uh, that's, anyway, it's a modern story because it talks about a lot of the lands that we're fighting in today. Uh, Mussolini and Europe uh, wanted those things. They belonged to the Turks, the Ottoman Empire. Anyway, the point is, is that Larry Torney joined the SS because you couldn't be in the Wehrmacht if you weren't German. They let some Alsatians, which down close to France, they let some Alsatians in the S in, in the Wehrmacht. But the only way you could serve Germany if you were Swedish or Norwegian or uh, Denmark, Iceland is if you join the SS. And so this was the, the German Foreign Legion. Larry Torney was a member of the, he was an SS officer. That way he could continue to fight the Russians, which he also was recipient of the Iron Cross. He, the Mattaheim Medal, is the highest decoration for bravery uh, given by Finland. He was a recipient of the Matterheim Medal. And then when the war was over, because we knew that the Russians were not our friends, we brought people from the SS 
like uh, Hitler's intelligence officer, for example. We brought people like Larry Torney. He came to the United States and formed in with this special forces because of his language skills, because of his uh, skills in combat against the Soviet Union. And so Larry Torney, uh, there's a book that's out now. It was written only uh, in uh, Finnish. But now it is out, and it's called uh, The Soldier of Three Uniforms or something like it. It was about Larry Torney and his time as a Finnish uh, Alpine uh, commander, his time in the SS, and his time with U.S. Special Forces. Larry Torney was killed in the early 60s in special ops in a place that we never were, Laos. His helicopter crashed. He was killed, and, of course, nothing was ever said about it. Let me, uh, and so I wanted to mention that there is a renewed interest in uh, terrorism after this Andrus Breivik. Uh, they're just getting started with him over there in Finland. Uh, but he wants to tell his story. He's got pictures uh, that were made up of him in a uniform with medals. And uh, he uh, says that it was necessary. And I, here's what I want you to think about. You remember a guy named Lincoln Rockwell? Lincoln Rockwell was infamous because he was the head of the American Nazi Party. They wore all the uniforms that Hitler had. The American Nazi Party was started after World War II. Amazingly, Lincoln Rockwell was a commander in the United States Navy as a pilot. Lincoln Rockwell uh, flew as a combat pilot in World War II, and he flew as a combat pilot in Korea. And when he came out, he started this American Nazi party. When people would ask him, here you are, a decorated Navy pilot, supposed to be the best in the air. How in the world could you start something that seems to be anti-American like the American Nazi Party? And Lincoln Rockwell said, and this is what I believe Anders Breivik, this is where he's coming from. Lincoln Rockwell said the only way that I could get in the news was to dress up and act like a Nazi. He said, because the target of my verbal attacks, where I saw America was being threatened, America was being betrayed, America was being attacked, was through the Jewish-owned conglomerates that controlled everything from entertainment to news to radio, television, uh, books, publishers, magazines, uh, and that there was a core of this that was filth. 
He said, but the only way, he said, what they would do is they would attack me and uh, they would try to destroy me by my reputation. He said, when that wasn't enough and I was still fighting them, he said they wanted to destroy me economically. So they manipulated the law and the courts, and they took away all the money. When that wouldn't stop me, then they killed me. And, uh, of course, he uh, justifies. And when you uh, take a look at it, the pastor that was uh, head of the Aryan Nations up in Idaho, he was a B-24 crewman in World War II. I was talking to him, and here he has a picture of Hitler on his desk. He flies a Nazi flag under the Stars and Stripes uh, out in uh, his and where he uh, had his uh, his little fortress. You may say, "Bo, what are you doing uh, talking, you know, to a guy like this?" Well, I was on an instrument flight uh, up in the clouds, uh, coming over uh, Idaho when my generators gave out, and. Uh, I had to pump the gear down, and so you can't continue IFR if your radios are uh, are gone and uh, the batteries, of course, require generators. So I made an emergency landing in Idaho. I didn't even know where I was at, but I turned out to be in Hayden Lake. And then it dawned on me, this is where Pastor Butler lives. So I looked in the phone book, and I called him up, and I said, this is Bo Greitz. Could I uh, come and meet with you? My airplane is getting uh, uh, the generators fixed, and I'm out here at the airport. And he said, well, sure, Bo, come on out. So I borrowed the uh, mechanic's uh, car, and uh, I there we were sitting there talking. I said, you know, my dad was killed as a pilot flying uh, over Europe. Uh, the Greitzes are from, uh, you know, the Bavarian side of Germany. I said, let me ask you, why would you uh, want to be uh, like, uh, you know, start this Aryan nation thing, you know, where it's kind of anti-American uh, government? And he told me the same thing that Lincoln Rockwell had said. He said, Bo, it's the only way that you can get your message across. The media won't listen to you otherwise. He said, I'm an American. I, I fought for America. I was a crewman on a B-24 bomber. He said, but when I got back after the war, I saw what was happening. And he said, I had to do something. We had fought to save the world from the Nazis, and uh, then you see the world uh, being uh, invaded by the communists, and he said what I saw as a Jewish threat. He said, so this was the way I could get publicity. So there, I think Anders Breivik is not a Christian. 
And uh, he's not a Norwegian patriot. He's looking to get uh, his story out. So he has done a most heinous crime, something that Lincoln Rockwell, uh, as a uh, Navy uh, pilot, would not do. Something that uh, that Pastor Butler of Hayden Lake of, uh, started the Aryan Nations, he would not do. And that is murder. Something that no civilized Christian man will do. Not murder. Now, murder doesn't mean, and I don't think the Sixth Commandment, uh, which says, uh, thou shalt not kill, means that you, you, I mean, I killed hundreds of people. I thought my life, my soul could not be saved. I was wrong. As long as you don't kill with selfish motive, as long as you're protecting yourself, your family, as long as you are fighting for your nation, as long as you are enforcing the laws against criminals, then it's what you intend to do, not what you do. All right, I got to get on because there's a lot of important stuff. I said, because I wanted to make a point with you, that Osama, not Osama, is yeah, it is Osama, that uh, that Hussein Barack Obama, it's Obama. Sorry, I I, I tell you, it is truly Freudian, because uh, the, I mean, both people were probably Muslim. Uh, Osama bin Laden fought uh, against the Russians and planned the bombing of the Twin Towers. Uh, our president didn't, hadn't fought anybody, but I think that he has a plan, and it will lead to the demise of our country. Uh, the point is, he is a liar. Uh, he lies, and I, gosh, I, I feel, and I hate to say it about the President of the United States, but on the 2nd of August, every newscaster now in America is singing the Obama song. On the second, we default. On the second, America doesn't pay its bills. That is absolutely horse manure. It is a lie. It is a 100% political fear tactic. And I hope that karma has something to do uh, and that somehow Obama will be punished uh, for trying to deceive the American people just for politics. Now, what he said in his speech is that uh, he doesn't like Reed's plan, and he really insulted Senator Reed, who is his gopher in the U.S. Senate, by because Reed's plan said no taxes, no new revenues. Well, uh, that is not Obama's plan. Obama wants a a blank check. He wants a free hand. He has said no to Bomer's plan. He has said no to Reed's plan. But yet Obama has not defined his own plan. Now, anybody, I've been a commander of, uh, of a squad, a platoon, a company, a battalion, 
I've been a commander of an A team, B team, C team, special operations. What the commander does is he gives his plan, and then he leaves it up to his men, his staff, to flesh out the plan and to incorporate their ideas and come back to him and say, Commander, here's what we've got. And then he can, like the president's power, veto it or sign it. But uh, Obama has no plan, and it really makes me angry. So right now uh, we're back to uh, where Reed's got his plan, Bomer's got his plan, the uh, number crunchers have said that both Reed and Bomer's plans as presented uh, are not as sweet as they say, that they don't save as much in uh, Bomer's plan. It, they, you don't save as much in Reed's plan as they say, but that Reed's plan is a little sweeter than Bomer's when you come down to the number crunching. Well, uh, they're going to count this thing down. There's six days now until America implodes absolute hogwash. And the Dow now has tanked. It went down 198.95. Gold is, uh, is higher, setting new records, just like the heat wave has set new records. Gold uh, closed out today. It was uh, $1,628, and it finally closed at uh, $1,614. Uh, silver uh, is also doing very well at $0.40 uh, cents an ounce. And uh, you know, uh, what am I saying? It's $40.31 an ounce. Now, uh, they're, uh, the leading party, we know about no, Obama has no uh, competition. But the leading party is still Mitt Romney. And uh, underneath Romney... And I have no uh, no reason to, to, I just can't figure it out, is Michelle Bachman. Michelle Bachman has uh, said so many things that don't make any sense. I cannot believe, but she is a sweetheart to uh, the uh, Tea Party. Now, the Tea Party uh, is meeting today in Washington, D.C. Uh, the Tea Party is, uh, has said some things about... Uh, Rick Perry, who now, here's the leader, is Romney. He's got 23% of everything. Uh, Rick Perry, as a matter of fact, has got 18% already. He's not even uh, officially thrown his hat in the ring, but he will. Uh, He's got this uh, all-day feast uh, or the fast and prayer day in Houston at Reliant uh, Stadium on the 6th. The fourth, by the way, is supposed to be Obama's birthday, but he changes it every now and then. Anyway, Michelle Bachman's got 13%, and Ron Paul is in the running. With He is the fourth. He's number four. Now, here's some facts real quick. I only got about 15 seconds. 
Ron Paul has the answers. Mitt Romney cannot beat Obama. He's a Mormon. And uh, Bachman uh, shouldn't be on any list uh, that comes out uh, for president or vice president. Rick Perry uh, has some uh, skeletons in his closet, and tomorrow I'll go over them with you. But you stay with American Voice Radio. Don't worry about this. Uh, the lies that Obama uh, and the secretary, they ought to all be thrown in jail. Now, those things will be made clear as time moves on. Fighting all right, you stay with American Voice Radio. It's 11 order, and uh, I'll be with you tomorrow. Men who jump and die. Men who mean just what they say. The brave men. Of the Green Beret, silver wings upon their chest. These are men, America's best. One hundred men will test today, but only three. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Job stress, financial obligations, or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3w.thepowerherbs.com.
Welcome to Condition Critical with your host, Jay Shanahan, breaking the stranglehold of the New World Order. And now, Jay Shanahan. All right, good afternoon. I am your host, Jay Shanahan. You are listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. This is the Condition Critical Hour. Sorry about that. It's Tuesday to 3 o'clock hour out here on the Pacific time coast. And first, I want to, uh, I fail to mention this sometimes, but so I would like to do so now. Uh, I'm going to kind of plug my website, shameless plug, irish684.com, irish684.com. You can go there. I try and keep it up to date. My goal was when I started it, and by the way, I have a great editor who helped who helps me, and, and, and he's the same person that, that set it up for me, so a big thank you to him. He's also my English teacher, by the way. I just thought I'd throw that in there as well. But I try and I try and keep new stuff on there, and I did post a, a new article on there last week. Uh, and my goal was when I started was to have one article a week on my, on my blog about current events and just about different things and just my own type of commentary, which – Hopefully you guys are getting used to, uh, as far as that goes. So yeah, go to go to my website, check it out. I'd appreciate it. Secondly, and I say this every week, and I'm I'm gonna keep saying it every week. I would appreciate it if you would if you would donate to the American Voice Radio. And I just posted a link for you to for you to donate. Go there. It's really easy. Follow the link, uh, and and donate. It's it's a great network. It's a great uh, I mean, I mean, there's worse things to spend your money on. So, again, uh, if not Frank, I would certainly appreciate it. And now I just kind of want to move on. Uh, you know, there's a lot happens, you know, from from week to week. From you know when I wasn't here, you know, I mean, from from last week until now, I mean, just a whole bunch happens, and uh, it's amazing the the amount of stuff that happens. And I'm one that you know that pays attention. Uh, it's been pointed out, and I've gotten some feedback that it's somewhat muckraking, but you know what? I'm going to go ahead and run with that. And, you know, I'm not going to dedicate, but I'm going to use maybe the first part, you know, a few minutes or however long of my show to just kind of do like the muckraking report or something and just kind of run through a couple of items. And again, I mean, it's from, from the time we, we, we were here last week until now, you know, a, whole, a lot of, a lot has happened. And the first thing I want to just kind of briefly talk about, and I'm going to call this death by political correctness. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm sure you're all aware of Hulk Hogan. He's like the big WWE seven-foot giant. He's old now. Wrestling, okay? He's been around a long time. He's been in the movies, and he's won like 18 world championships, and I've never been a, a big studio wrestling fan, okay? It's all theatrics. It's pretty ridiculous, in fact, it's very ridiculous. But anyway, he got fired unceremoniously. And I saw it at first, and I'm like, whatever. I, and, but then it was like the next day it came out that apparently somebody leaked a sex tape, okay, uh, that they took of him, unbeknownst to him, happened eight, nine years ago, where he said some, well, he said the, the dreaded N-word. Okay? And then so the WWE just unceremoniously, unceremoniously fired him. Okay, that's what I call death by political correctness. Now, this is the WWE, mind you, that, I mean, 
their whole thing. I mean, everybody is a caricature. Everybody. Okay, you got the like the Iron Sheik. You got Abdul the Butcher. You got Hacksaw Jim Duggan. These are all like, you know, ridiculous caricatures of themselves. And, and the worst type of stereotypes out there. All in fun. And I guess, and it's okay for them to promote all of that. But then, so I don't get it. You know, and I'm not going to dwell on it or talk that much about it, but it is, it's important to understand what it is, this whole political correctness thing, this whole political correctness uh, mindset, doctrine that is out there where if you don't toe their line, uh, they're just going to, now look, I'm not, a, like I said, a big fan and I really couldn't care less about Hulk Hogan. I would imagine that he's independently wealthy or he, at least he should be after all these many years and millions, multi-millions of dollars that he has earned doing what he does. So hopefully, uh, I, need, I shouldn't even say that because I, I really don't care, but he should be independently wealthy and this, this shouldn't affect him. But I, I will say this. I will say this, that Hulk Hogan gets fired for something he said eight years ago on a sex tape that he had no idea was made, okay? But the two death dealers from Planned Parenthood Go, or on video, again, it was without their knowledge, but still, it was kind of a sting type thing, and, and, and they don't get fired, there's no, you know, there's not a whole bunch about those two death dealers in the news, certainly they haven't been fired, and they should be, and what's up with that name, Planned Parenthood, do they plan Parenthood? I thought they perform abortions, and if you have an abortion, then you're not a parent, you don't need, I don't know, I just don't get that that name. So I'll move on from that. And there's another subject that I'm going to talk about from time to time. And it's, it's going to be in the infamous words, if you will, of our former attorney general, Eric, them's my people holder. He encouraged us. In fact, I think he demanded us that, that, that we need to have a conversation about race. And you know what? I'm willing to have those conversations when they're necessary. And well, it's necessary because last we spoke last week, I mentioned Sandra Bland, the uh, black female who died. And it's un always unfortunate when someone dies in police custody. There's something going on there. But nonetheless, dead, whatever. So you got all these. How many news articles have we had since then? Well, probably one or two a day since last week. Okay. Then you have the whole Black Lives Matter thing come into play. You have uh, justice for Sandra. That's all coming into play. You've had demonstrations. Some violent, uh, I think some protesters in Cleveland yesterday, day before, had to be uh, hosed down and sprayed with pepper spray by the, by the goon squad. Okay. But conversely, because like, last week I mentioned Troy Good, the, the white guy who died in police custody. How many news stories have you heard about Troy Good? Where's the, where's the white lives matter for Troy Good or the, or the justice for Troy Good? Well, there hasn't been any. So, yeah, we do need to have that conversation about race because there is a disparity here, obviously a disparity, and it, it should disturb all of us, all of us, because I thought we were all the same. But, you know, uh, I'm just kind of goofy that way, I suppose. All right. Now, uh, Donald Trump's still in the news, and he's not really the, the main topic, you know, of, of this this next issue, which is on illegal immigration and although he said a, a lot about it he, he but he's contradicted himself here recently 
uh, first, I would never, you know, openly or, uh, you know, really disagree, you know, vehemently, I guess, with, with any of the hosts on this network, uh, because they have, they all have excellent commentary and they're, they're very knowledgeable and their, their, their thoughts and their commentary is well thought out, but, and I'm not going to mention any names because it doesn't matter, but it, suffice it to say that how, you know, Donald Trump kind of glammed on to this illegal immigration thing, right? And he got people's attention. I, I guess that's what the media is saying. But here's what I have to say. I mean, how easy is that? How easy is that one? I, I, this is how I'd liken it. I, I would think that if a space alien, like a real space alien from like beyond Pluto landed on planet Earth, within like a couple of days, that space alien would realize we have an illegal immigration problem. So, I mean, how hard, how easy was that one to just kind of take that and, and, and get people fired up? But we already know that. But don't we all already know that we have a problem in this country with illegal alien invaders, criminal or not? Uh, don't we? Well, of course we do. So that was a pretty easy one. And I'll get on to what Trump said, how he contradicted himself. But it's the same old thing. Okay, it's the same old thing. And, and first, let me just kind of digress for a moment because, because this ties in. You remember when John McCain, uh, you know, he criticized Trump on this thing, and he, he said something like, uh, Trump is bringing out the crazies. You know, that, like, and then it was, it was, you know, kind of brought to his attention by folks on this network mostly that, hey, those are the crazies. Those are the people that support you and, 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 and voted for you, and you're calling him crazy? Well, that's what McCain does. I, I said it before, he's a creep. Well, we have a representative, a U.S. representative, in this very state of Washington. His name's Dave Reichert. He's the former sheriff of King County. He was on Cairo Radio yesterday. And because of this illegal alien criminal that, that murdered the, the woman in San Francisco, uh, this happened a couple weeks ago, uh, Congress... You know they act as what they do. They they don't they don't like crises go to waste either. So they kind of drummed up this this uh, kind of punishment, if you will, for sanctuary cities. Okay, it was like a bill. Well, Dave Record voted against it, and that's why he was on Cairo yesterday. And then I, I turned it on to listen to a, a traffic report, and I heard him, and he disgusted me because he, you know, among the other things that he said that were disgusting, he said that this. He said the reason he voted against this was because it was a measure from the far right of the party. And as soon as I heard that, I, I go, why'd you do that? Here you are. You're, you're a Republican. And, you know, in the far right of your party, those are – and now he's a representative from the Bellevue area. That's like the east side. It's east of Seattle across Lake Washington. It's very affluent. You have a lot of uh, probably far right conservatives that live there. Did he not just throw them under the bus? And, of course, I called his office, and I just ripped him a new one. And I encourage you to do that uh, yourself, any of your representative. You should be calling them every day, finding out what they do, and, and then ripping them, because that, that's what you should do. But anyway, that's what these politicians do, okay, is they, they throw their own constituents under the bus, and I don't get that. But back on the, to the, you know, the illegal immigration thing. Uh, and another thing that Dave Reichert said, Okay, another thing that he said was uh, that we wouldn't have this problem because he went on. He said, you know, we wouldn't have this problem if, you know, we had, a, you know, like an immigration policy. And 
and I almost wrecked again. I'm like, what do you mean if we had an immigration policy? We have one. We have immigration policy. We have immigration laws that aren't being enforced. So this whole, that's now what he's saying is he, he's going to, he's, you know, he's kind of progressing his vocabulary. He's going to come out and say it. He's going to want this whole pathway to citizenship or what, you know, the, however you want to say it. In other words, change the law, which doesn't make any sense to me. And, and look, you know, Trump has, and I'm going to find it here. Pardon me for just a moment. Trump came out, oh, just a couple of days ago. What is it? It's the 28th. So this is a couple of days ago. <clears throat> and it was on MSNBC. And Trump said he endorsed a merit system for millions of undocumented immigrants already in this country. That's what he said. And he went on to say, he said, and quote, he says, I have to tell you, some of these people have been here. They've done a good job. In some cases, sadly, they've been living under the shadows. And he went on to say, we have to do something. Something? Yeah, we have to do something. We have to find those people. We have to find them and put them on whatever means of transportation available and ship them back across the border. That's where they need to go. That's what I told Dave Reichert's office. That's what we need to do. That's how we, that's how we enforce or, because there already is a pathway to citizenship. Is there not? Legally. So what? We can just let them invade? How many more? Come on over. Hey, it's all good here. No, we already have a pathway to citizenship. We already have it. So, look, and you know, that's just why I'm, I'm skeptical, cynical, whatever, about any of these you know, people running for federal office, especially president. They're not going to, you know, do what they say. They're simply just not going to do that. They are going to, they're just going to do it. They're, they're going to give these illegals amnesty one way or the other. They're going to do it. They don't care what the American people think. Because they already know what we think. Like I said, how easy was it for Trump to kind of glam onto that and get people kind of whipped into a frenzy? Yeah, hey, look at me, vote for me. I'm tough on immigration, but apparently he's not. But see, I already knew that. I already knew that he wasn't, even before he said it, because he's running for office. Don't you get it, people? I don't want these people here. They don't belong here. What? part of illegal don't they understand even if even if and look i hear the argument all oh, but some of them are just good people oh, they're just trying to feed their family and get jobs i'm just trying to feed my family i'm just trying to keep a job i would like my children to get a job when they when it's time but they're not going to be able to that's just a fact i don't know how else to say it that i don't want them here period even if they're not the, the criminal, the murderers, and the rapists, even, well, especially those ones I don't want here. But even Pepe and Consuelo that just kind of, you know, sneak across the border in the middle of the night and what have you, and, and they, they, they end up in, look, they don't just end up in Arizona or Texas or, you know, Southern California anymore. I mean, they're as far north as Maine, Maine, the state of Maine. You know, up by Canada, they're up there, too taking farm jobs and, and whatever, not speaking English, uh, having to, well, 
uh, get services that are paid for by taxpayers, like translators, and, and then they, they, they flood the, the multi-care and the, these 24-hour clinics and on and on and on. And that's just a fact. I don't care how that sounds. I don't care how it sounds. That's just a fact that they completely bankrupt the smallest of communities. Okay, so I don't care that they're just good people looking to feed their family. Go feed your family down there in Guadalajara, wherever it is you came from, you go back and feed your family down there. Okay, it's not my fault that you have a split trench running down the center of your street because you don't know how to, uh, you know, you don't know how to provide basic, your, or your government does, basic infrastructure. Like getting the poop away from your house in a sanitary fashion. That's not my problem. Okay. But you bring your problems here. And then you, and then, well, I mean, this part I get, though. I mean, I mean, certainly at this late stage, why wouldn't you? If I, I guess if I were a, a degenerate Mexican, I, I would just, hey, man, just go up there. <laughs> what the heck? I mean, right? But that doesn't mean that we have to tolerate it and continue to tolerate it like we have been. This is ridiculous. It's beyond ridiculous. It's the I, it's it's got to be like the, 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 the as far as I'm concerned the issue of the day, this illegal alien invasion of our country has to be the issue of the day. Yet these politicians are just going to talk in circles and not do anything at the end of the day. And what we're just going to apparently we're just going to sit back and let them do it. That's because that's what's happening. When I say we have to boycott the system, and I did get a clarification, you know, because it did sound contradictory, don't support these creeps. But that doesn't mean we don't have to call them because they are there. We, sh we have to demand them to be accountable. We just do on every issue. I, I called my, my representative, Denny Heck, about the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership. And look, look, they get it. Okay, I mean, they understand what they're doing, because when I spoke with the because they eventually put me on with the manager of the office or what have you, because I guess I wasn't the person that answered the phone, didn't like the way I was speaking to her, which I told her I don't care. So they put the manager on and and, you know, they look, man, they know what they're doing because she's there. What's your what's your point, sir? And so forth. And I'm like, look, there's no provision in the Constitution for the House of Representatives to be even discussing trade deals or treaties or anything. And she's like, well, it's not a treaty, sir. It's a, it's a deal. And I'm like, well, I don't care what you call it. Okay. There's still no provision in the constitution. And I want my representative to know that, but see, that's what I mean. They know, they know what they're doing. They know that they're changing the verbiage here and there and trying to sneak things through, but I see them. Okay. It's, they're just like, they're just like any other cockroach. I lived in the South. Anybody lived in the South, you know, I was in the service in Georgia. When, when you turn that light on, there they are. I mean, they are just, they're, they're, they're the classic cockroach, all of them, all of them. Even the people that, that work for them in these offices, when you call them, they have become cockroaches too. Okay. And so I don't care 
you know, that I may offend them or that my language might be a bit harsh or, or whatever. I don't, that's too bad. Then you need to go get another job. Maybe go get a job at 7-Eleven if you don't like, you know, the way that a constituent talks to you when he calls in about what's going on in this once great nation. Folks, I don't really know how else to say it. I, I don't. Uh, and and I, it, it, it's really, it distresses me sometimes. And I, yeah, I just, so I just, I, I don't mean to sound, you know, uh, angry or, or, or anything like that. But the fact is, I am angry. I am PO'd about what's going on in this country. Okay. It's, it's not good. There's nothing good that is, go, that is going on in this country. And it all has to deal with our government screwing us from, I don't get from, from the smallest uh, entity of government, you know, all the way up to the federal government or from the top to the bottom, whichever way you want to look at it. They are, man, they're, they're putting the screws to us. Okay. And we're just supposed to sit back. You know, we're just supposed to sit back and, 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 and take it. Thank you, sir. May I have another? And in fact, when I do call them, they get indignant that I'm indignant. It's just, it, it's mind-boggling. It, it is truly mind-boggling. Wait a minute. I'm, so you thought I was, you thought I was one of those people that, that was, you know, just going to like it or, or just take it just because you say so. But they've, that's where they are now. That's how obscene these politicians are. And I mean that in the most, uh, extreme way when I say obscene. They, they, these people are obscene with their policies and the way that they treat the people that they're supposed to represent. Work for, okay, work for. Well, I don't take it, and neither should you. Call them. I, I'm sure that you could find something that your creepy U.S. representative or U.S. senator has done. Believe me, just Google their name. And you say, wow, look what, look what, oh, wait a minute. He just wanted, he did. Call them and let them know. Write them a letter. Send them an email. Do those things. And, it, and look, and, and if, that, if none of that works, I guess, then on my uh, debut show, I mentioned the difference between civil disobedience and uncivil disobedience. And I would rather it not go to the uncivil disobedience route. But folks, somebody's pushing us there. Somebody is. It's not me. Okay, I'm not the one that's seeking these confrontations with, with my government. It's the other way around. Didn't we have another theater shooting? And didn't we have like another theater shooting? And, and, and what was like one of the first reports of that theater shooting? One of the first reports was there was no motive, but then they went on to but then they went on to label the guy a white supremacist, anti-government this, anti-government that, all trying to drum up and push people. Well, I thought there was no motive. Well, there either was a motive or there wasn't. Don't you see the the, the kind of discrepancy there? Don't you see? I see what's happening, and I'm sure people on this network do as well. And I tell people about it. I've, whoever wants to hear it, for the most part. And, I, and, I, and a lot of that, unfortunately, is whispering in the dark. It's a term my father, you know, 70s, 
said to me, and I don't know if he coined the phrase or not, but it certainly applies most of the time, is that, well, whispering in the dark, it, it applies, and it can be very frustrating. And some people, you know, will only do that for a certain amount of time before it's like, wow, that's, that's, I'm, that's not getting me anywhere. I'm just, I'll just turn on Monday Night Football now. And that's what they want. That's what they want. They want you to turn on Monday Night Football. And so on top of boycotting the elections and, and these creeps that run for office, look, if you just turn your television off and start paying attention, and I know that's, that's, I know that's hard. For, for people to do, I know, because people really just at the end of the day want to be entertained, and man, I just worked a long day, and just please leave me alone, but you know what? They're not going to leave you alone, okay? They won't even leave you alone watching TV. They got to brainwash you with some tripe. So turn it off. And here's the thing, because it gets easier. It gets easier. As soon as you turn off that sewage, as soon as you turn it off, I mean, boom! There's like a 50%, you know, increase in your health, okay? And then, and then you know, it gets slowly better from there. But, I mean, like right away, it's a, it's a, it's a big increase to your health. All right, we're getting close to break. And when we come back, uh, I'm going to move on. I'm going to try and talk about the differences between right and wrong to, uh, for, for a moment. Because I think that inherently we all know those differences. And so when we get back from the break, we will talk about that. And uh, yeah, I was waiting for the music to queue up. Well, here it comes. I will see you after the break. Power that comes from money When we marched against the empire's mighty schemes They were armed with special powers and legislation While we were armed with youth and foolish dreams but it seemed so right in Derry all that summer When we took them on and built our barricades Oh, we were an army dressed in faded jeans and sandals Too young and full of pride be afraid and we believed in things like justice, truth and freedom and we believed we had a right to liberty and we believed that we could build a new How it seemed to Peter Pan me. Mm-hmm. 
soon learn the truth of street rebellion As that city crumbled round us stone by stone Betrayed by those who promised they would help us Against tanks, troops, guns we stood alone For revolution is no game for foolish dreamers For dreamers never know the price that must be pain And before long We learned all power comes from a rifle And we learned to bleed and die And be afraid And soon no one talked Of justice, truth or freedom And soon no one gave one damn for liberty For all we hoped was that we might go on surviving We grew up fast, young Peter Pan The empire dealt us death and fear and prison There's no mercy from nothing that's really So our street kids swapped their faded jeans and sandals For hoods, guns with loaded magazines Now the years have wrought their cruel retribution And our brothers and our sisters bear the pain As both sides strive for their military And the politicians play their murderous games And among the dead lie justice, truth and freedom And among the dead lie hope and liberty So if you care enough to mourn
have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Oh, 
All right. Welcome back to the second part of my show here, Condition Critical. I'm your host, Jay Shanahan. You are listening right here on the American Voice Radio Network. I failed to mention uh, there's a chat room. Not many people in there at the moment. That's okay. It's still a great resource. Go to the American Voice Radio or AmericanVoiceRadio.com. Go to the left. You'll see a chat link. Click it. Follow the instructions. Real simple. Go in there, ask questions, and do all that other stuff. Uh, it's a great way to communicate. It's a great resource. So I encourage you to, to do that. Uh, also, uh, I, I want to mention again to donate to the American Voice. I posted that link in there as well. They make it real easy for you to do, and I can't say it enough. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I mentioned my website guy and my editor and English teacher, an all-around good guy and friend in the first part of the show, and I, I, I failed to mention. I didn't fail to mention. Maybe I just waited until now. I want to thank Frank for giving me this opportunity uh, to have a show on this network. I've been a longtime listener. Uh a frequent caller of his show to the point where, and I think I mentioned just before that I, I sometimes felt guilty calling in. It's like, man, I mean, I'm kind of calling in and I'm not, I'm, I'm really just calling in to, to commentate and I should probably just get my own show. And, and so here I am. So I just wanted to thank Frank for giving me this opportunity and I am very grateful for it. So moving on. I mentioned at the, uh, at the end of the uh, first segment about the differences between right and wrong. And, and this is what I teach my son. This is what I have taught my son. And, you know, some of the, the Bible guys, the, the more knowledgeable Bible guys on this network, Pastor Mike and Pastor Anthony and, and so forth, they, they might, you know, they might find, I don't know, this not to be completely accurate or, or what have you, but I believe inherently, unless you're just, completely evil. I believe that inherently uh, human beings know the difference between right and wrong. That's what I tell my son. It's like, I say, son, if you have to think, if you have to think about what you're going to do before you do it, it, it's probably, it's probably wrong. Now, and that's kind of a generic way to, to describe it, but, but try and follow along. Because it just kind of makes sense. I mean, you don't, in other words, you know, because we're not inherently evil. Now, I know we're born sinners, so that might be where the, you know, the, the more in-tune Bible guys might say, well, maybe we are because we're born sinners. But I don't believe that human beings are, are, are inherently evil. I believe that instinctively we know the difference between right and wrong. Okay. And, and so you should always... And it's just easy, and it should be easy to do to always do the right thing, because again, getting back to you're not inherently evil, that you you already know. And why am I bringing this up? Well, for a lot of reasons, I guess. But I guess the you know the reason I'm kind of taking the long way around is, or the, the, the why I'm bringing it up is, and this is gonna now I'm gonna say it. The, these these sodomites that, that, that permeate our land, they know. They know. They have to know. It, well, again, unless they're all inherently evil, and I don't believe that to be the case, 
well, I guess they, they become evil. They know the difference between right and wrong, and, and they should know better than to. And, and just like with the illegal immigrants and so forth, I, I don't want these, I don't want these sodomites, uh, these, these, these freaking, uh, uh, I don't even how else to really describe them without, you know, getting vulgar, but these, 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 these rampant, this rampant, like, obsession with homosexualism that has, that has really just taken over, uh, just doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm see, I'm even as I speak, I'm trying to like really kind of formulate, you know, uh, some commentary here because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say something too vulgar, but I think you guys, you know, kind of get my message there. And, and it's, and again, it, it's an easy thing to, to me, it's, it's just easy to do the right thing, always, to do the right thing. And we do it often, folks do. I mean, I'm sure that you can pick a time once a week where you just instinctively do the right thing. You, you hold the door open for an old lady or, 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 but what you don't do is you don't, you know, slam the door in her face. Okay. You don't do that. Right. You you know, you pick something up for an old man that he dropped at the grocery store. You don't kick it across the aisle, okay? Those are the kind of things that, that we just instinctively do, and unless you're a complete, you know, unless you're evil or, or like a retard or something like that, okay? Now, I guess if you're like a, an adolescent or something, you're just being goofy, but, I mean, you, you, you know, you will you know, you will learn to, to regret those, those types of, of actions. But that's why I believe that we all can do, that we all can do better because we already automatically know the difference between right and wrong. Because again, every day in our lives, we, well, I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm not in jail and you guys aren't in jail and we're not, you know, getting in trouble with uh, at work or, or, you know, getting in fights with your neighbor and or so forth, you know, we're just being good people. And I, I don't, that's just, to me, that's easy, just to, to just be like a good person and do the right thing, okay? That doesn't mean that sometimes you won't make mistakes, but if you don't do them intentionally and then you can learn from them and, and so forth, it, the, the world, this country uh, will be, you know, will just be, you know, much better off. And I just kind of wanted to put that out there. That's been... That's been something that's kind of been, you know, floating in the back of my brain there for a while is, is kind of bringing that up, the whole difference between right and wrong thing here. Because I, I don't think that I'm too far off on that. I think that my, you know, at least my, you know, my version there of it is, is pretty spot on. So just we all just need to practice, you know, being better citizens and, 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 and better people. And once we become better, once we stop, you know, you know, being selfish and, and all about ourselves and, and thinking about others, then it just kind of grows from there. And this can, this can help change this country. And then the politicians won't be able to run roughshod over us because right now, right now, these politicians, they, they know that, that we're, we're selfish, we're self-centered, we don't care anything except about ourselves. So they, they feed off of that. 
And, and then they just run circles around us because it's, they, we've made it easy for them. Not all of us, okay, but, but, but certainly 